0: Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer, we, we can do it. this. Yeah. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brew Head. Welcome to episode 53 of Beer Not The Podcast, Adjunct Series Quarantine Edition. This evening, we have a very special podcast. We have two gentlemen in Toronto, Ontario, who have really started something unique, something that I don't believe I've really seen anywhere else on the planet or even heard of, Um, what they've really contributed to the Ontario and and after that, the Canadian craft beer scene is fantastic. It's much needed. Um, It brings a whole other angle. Um, Mate, I'm looking forward to it. We have Mike and Chris from Craft Brand Co. Boys, welcome. There we go. Thank you guys. Oh,
1: it's cheering! It sounds so happy. Right?
0: We got the we got the audiences behind the couch, you know, waiting great for there. you. How you boys doing? Great. Looking great. Good man. Good. Great to see you. Likewise, this is a long time coming, so I really appreciate both of your time this evening. It's uh, I'm super stoked know. that off. You guys are in the office. That looks. That's a sick ass wall you got there. I love it.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's been, it's been pretty wild. I mean, you know, we we, we hadn't been in the office together for, for quite some time over the, the yeah. pandemic. I mean, we went long stretches. You know, we're, we're eight years into the company a couple weeks ago, and, and um, we went correct. long stretches over this last 12 months without uh, being in the office together. So this gave us a really great excuse to to sit in
0: here and drink some beers and, and hang out. I love it. Do you – basically, I guess that's where everybody who works for the company would be based out of the office there. So I guess since – COVID, everyone's just been working remote and you haven't really had much of a need with the exception of, I imagine, maybe sales reps coming to pick up product and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, mo- I mean, most of the sales reps work remote anyways. They stop by here to pick mm. up tap panels or coasters or oh, beer all samples. Concept. Stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, the Hangout. We have of a course. Golden tea machine here. You know, try yeah. to improve their game, improve <laughs> their, uh, their app on the Golden tea machine. But uh, for the most part, it was just Certainly, when we in early pandemic, when we were building the e commerce side of the business stuff, uh, it was really just one person at a time here. We would take turns right. building, packing, shipping the stuff out. And, and uh, our downtown Toronto sales rep, Brian, was doing curbside deliveries. We had Craig doing curbside deliveries down in Southwest a couple of days a week. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was different times. But yeah, and now, even now, we're still not really all at the office. We got together, I think everyone was at the office, we were tasting a new brand that was coming in the portfolio. And that was the first time everyone had been in the office for over a year. Yeah. Uh, So it was pretty crazy.
0: How do you manage that with the team? Like, I guess everyone's just masked up or separated or whatever.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, we, do a lot on our phones. We do a lot in our WhatsApp group of, you know, keeping kind of everybody, you know, in tune and, and sending good gifts and making everybody laugh. And, and, you know, we've got a really tight knit crew. So yeah, I think we really missed the kind of face-to-face hangouts, but, um, you know, it made it that much better when we were able to, and especially over this next, you know, couple months, uh, we'll have some really good excuses to hopefully get back out there on the, on the road. And, and spend
0: some time together. Yeah, uh, I love it. That's great, man. I'm glad you guys are uh, slowly getting back to some form of normalcy yeah. with it all. You know? Yeah. Um, on yeah. that note, speaking of uh, tasting, let's get into the uh, the first beer that we're rocking tonight. You guys want to tell us about this glorious little gem right here with the yeah. candle in it?
3: I mean,
1: we, we should say that uh, anyone that's uh, following along, we, yes, we do have this of
0: package. Course. Please tell them about uh, it. Momentum, uh, it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no worries. So we have these delicious beers. This is the Omni Pollo Maz that just got canned, what, uh, last
2: Thursday? Yeah, the 22nd.
1: 20, 22nd. Um, and uh, so uh, we shipped you some beers, but we've also put the little six-pack of beers on the website uh, yes. for people to buy. If they want to drink along at a later date, uh, they, can, uh, they can certainly do that.
2: This, this beer, you know, one of the really, really cool things about, you know, where kind of our journey has brought us is, uh, you know, we, we get, you know, chances to try these beers at times and we're blown away by them. And then we go years and years and years without having them. So Mazarin was a beer that we had in Stockholm at Omni Pollo's, um, you know, kind of tap room pizza joint that they have in Stockholm there. And this was probably three years ago now. And we were absolutely floored with it and really wanted an excuse to brew it here and launch it here. We loved the can. We loved everything about it. So we hadn't had it in, you know, three years mm-hmm. up until when we canned it, you know, a few days ago. And and again, you, we could, kind of took that smell and took that sip and we were just like, fuck, there it is. Like that's that's the beer that we remember from three years ago. And so this one's… This one's oat super exciting for us.
0: Uh, we've just been loving it <laughs> around the yeah, office. Like loving right. it. So it's an oat pale ale from the from what I'm seeing here, five point six percent. Yeah. Um, what are we talking with the uh, with the hops and stuff in this one?
2: Yeah. So this has got a really nice hop blend of um, Citra, Simcoe, uh, and Amarillo.
0: Nice. And you know this Not is kind out. of
2: one of the OG. Uh, Omni Pollo beers. This is one of the ones is they were really kind of starting to get their legs under them. They, they put this one out as kind of a hop forward, uh, you know, beer, but they wanted, you know, a bit of a different, you know, hop note. Hanoke does these really great on YouTube. It's called beers with Hanoke and it's okay. kind of him, you know, in their facility chatting about these beers. And yeah, you know, this one, this one kind of near and dear to his heart, near and dear to the brewery's heart and uh, has been around for a while. Mm. Um, yeah it is a
0: classic I think mean, it's in 40 countries now I think or something like that Yeah, so that's amazing um, I love that you guys were able to bring this back and, and recapture that uh, feeling that you got over there I, that's that's fantastic what I'm getting immediately it's uh, this really feels like a Vermont style kind of IPA as far as if you're saying it was one of their original ones I would imagine that they probably would have been influenced by maybe more the Vermont style pre- prior to the New England there's a bit of um that kind of piney bitterness that you like everything else about this characteristic wise is straight like new England, but it's got that piney bitterness. It's not overwhelming at all, mm-hmm. but it's kind of what's similar to what you'd find in maybe like a heady or super sunshine or something like that. Is that, am I off off there or?
1: Yeah, no, uh, you're a hundred percent bang on. This is like, this does predate the kind of Nipah craze. Um, and so it does have a fingerprint that harkens back to, You know the hops of yesteryear more than it does uh, uh, the ones today, and and then the the aroma is like super punchy right now. I mean it's it's spicy, it's beautiful right now. Like it's 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 crazy.
0: Yeah, man, I'm getting that. Spicy is a very good word for this one. It's like uh, with those hops, like looking citrus, Simcoe, Amarillo. I mean that's like straight tropical fruit bombs. But I guess the way they've Mm. worked with it, they've been able to bring out that sort of peppery spice or something like that in this that's a whole other brings a whole other dimension to it. It's really good.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh it it's super crushable. The pale ales are my absolute favorite and favorite uh style. Like before before we brewed this, the Mickler's Peter Pale and Mary, which we brew here, was one of my absolute favorites. And and it was uh one of the only sub five ABV beers we had in our portfolio. So it was a really good Day drinking beer, <laughs> session <laughs> session beer, uh, but uh, I, I found it totally, totally crushable. And yeah. and and I would put this up around there. Like I, I find this one, even though it looks all hazy and, and it has you know it has plenty of punch, I still find it super sessionable. You know it, it is a little bit more approachable than a, and it seems when you pour it in the glass. Like I find it, I find it, uh, find it very easy to drink.
0: Extremely so smooth, that mouthfeel is exceptional. Like, great.
1: yeah, the oats really make it the, the oats really make yeah. a beautiful mouthfeel on this.
0: I wonder if, um, now we're talking about the oats for this one. I wonder if the excuse me, the original like Vermont style IPAs or pale ales if they were brewed with oats because I don't recall them having a mouthfeel like this, which is what makes this be pretty interesting and unique. That it's got the mouthfeel right. of like an eight percent, yeah, you know haze bomb that's got no bitterness, but it's kind of more on this uh, on the Vermont style with that. It's like a nice kind of middle ground, which is fascinating that they've been doing this so long ago. Mm-hmm. Great man. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and one of the hallmarks, you know, of Poyo's
2: beers, you know, outside of, you know, being kind of big and, and bold, is, you know, they they really all have a hallmark of great mouthfeel. Whether it's their Imperial Stouts, whether it's their non-alk that we make, whether it's you know zodiac or the fruit beers they all have this little bit more viscosity a little bit you know uh smoother larger mouth feel and and yeah they, they drink you know quite often a lot bigger than they are even though some of their
0: beers are are pretty damn big yeah man they're one of the i would argue probably one of the most innovative uh, breweries on the planet they do some of the most wildest shit i've ever seen it's uh amazing <clears throat> You know they've
2: got this. They just have this team um, of of just all of these this collection of people that just all kind of push each other there, and they're all super weird, cool, unbelievably bright people. Um, you know, our first time there was kind of really seeing the power of it and just kind mm-hmm. of the magic of it. You know, we had drank the beers, we'd seen the labels, but to kind of you know wander around and 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 hang out with them and, and see what they're about really was. We were big fans before, but I think we left there saying, yeah, you know, these guys are doing some of the coolest shit on earth for sure. Um, and it's infectious. They, they are like, Hanok and Carl and
1: Carlos, their they're whole team, they're the reason why when we started the company, that that is why. Like when we when we wanted to build up the Crap brand Company, wanted to build something that we love the people we work with, we'd run through walls for the people we we. with collaborate with because they're great people. And those guys are the epitome of of that, right? Like, mm-hmm. we love working with them. We love hanging with them, drinking some beers, chatting with them. Like, they they really are. And this is pervasive across the whole craft industry, right? Like, they, right. it's culturally – the craft industry does have a lot of really decent people in it that, that usually put, you know, the best intentions first and go above and beyond and help each other out. These guys are just – you know, you feel warm and fast friends right from the first time you meet them. Like, they're very welcoming. They're very, they're very embracing. They, they're, they're very open. It, it was, uh, you know, right from the first time we ever met them, you know, the, there wasn't this pretension of, yeah, I'm some up-and-coming superstar and we're doing the coolest shit. It wasn't that at all. It was like, fuck, man, aren't we all just living the dream? Like, yeah. isn't this the best?
0: That's so cool. Particularly because I think that they and you guys could probably speak to this more, but I feel like they they're the, arguably the reason for a lot of styles that are popular today. Smoothie sours, they were doing the frozen slushies and probably pastry stouts. I think all of that stuff for anyone. I th- I would argue without knowing from what I understand, they basically invented the shit. Like, and they are responsible for for better or worse. Some people don't like it, but I love it. Fun and beer, you know, go together. So um, I feel like they've really like driven that culture and people have seen what they're doing and, and maybe brought that across to North America and then therefore to the rest of the world you guys would know better obviously
2: yeah absolutely on the pastry stouts you know and some of the you know the big fruited sours you know absolutely you know the nod kind of goes to yeah to Hanoke really I mean he's got an incredible team around him but man the guy is you know the you know, the brewing genius, right? Like the mm. things that he dreams <laughs> up that, you know, even at times you read on paper and think there's no way that's going to work. And then you try it and you're like, wow, how does that work? Like that's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. And, you know, and yeah, they can be polarizing, right? They, they definitely can be polarizing the beers um, of whether you're in that camp or you're not. They they start conversations. They they make you think about what's possible in, in the world of beer. And again, whether you're in or, in or out of that camp, you know, it's kind of uh, – uh, irrelevant it's you know they they have this ability to to carve out their own path in this space which is really difficult to do in this mm-hmm. day and age in yeah. beer with you know a different brewery popping up every week it is it is different to be unique and, and to do your own thing and 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 they march to a very different beat of that drum for sure
0: yeah that's a great point um i just want to point out for anyone who is considering getting the pack i actually put it in the description right now so obviously i fix up the description afterwards, but I put it in there now so you can go hit that. And then it also kind of occurred to me that we're talking about Craft Branco, but we're spending all this time talking about Omnipolio and for people who aren't familiar with what you guys do, they might be like, what the hell is going on here? So maybe we should give, give these folks a bit of context for, for those who, you know, strangely might not know who you guys are, what you guys do. Should we start with, uh, let's start with um, getting your beer histories, how both you individually got into beer and then how that kind of led to Craft Branco's uh, existence.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, <coughs> I'll, I'll go first since my lips sure. are already moving. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I uh, I moved uh, I moved to Toronto back in uh, when the the century ended and the world ended, but then it didn't. uh Ninety nine, and I was an out of work actor looking mm. to you know find the bright lights of the big city, and uh, I was working as bartender at the Lion King and Steam um, Whistle had just launched in 2000, and uh, we were serving at the theater, like, cr- crazily enough, you know, this massive uh, theater downtown Toronto was pouring like the, the newest craft brewery out there. Mm. But mo- most of the people coming there were American tourists and didn't know it at all, I, I had no idea. So then we would sit there and drink it, but the uh, bartenders. Right. <laughs> and I uh, loved it, and I, I was super broke and, uh, the steam whistle sales rep came in one day and he's like, Hey, uh, <coughs> if you work at the brewery, you get like a free case of beer with your paycheck. And I was like, Oh man, this, this is the type of, I mean, I want to be an actor, but if you have mm-hmm. to have a Joe job, a Joe job where you get a free case of beer is pretty ideal. Very so nice. I sent them the email. They put me on the production line. Like the next week I sent them an email saying, Hey, I'd love to work. I love your beer. I'd love to work on your production line. Uh, I hear you get a free case of beer with a paycheck and they're like, yeah, show up, steel toe boots, work on the bottling line. And I was like, okay. Uh, and that was the start. I started at the very bottom schlepping dirty bottles on the production line. And after the first year I was, uh, I was doing all the events off-site and working in the store and then I became marketing manager and then ultimately director of marketing. I spent, uh, nine, nine years there. I spent most of it in the marketing department. I, after my first year, I was pretty much up in the marketing department doing the sponsorship partnership stuff for them, and then director of marketing. And then, then I uh, left there in 2010. Uh, started uh, consulting in the U.S. for a, a brewery at a Sri Lanka called Lion Brewing. They're yeah. having some issues with their U.S. market, so then I started traveling to the U.S. one week of every month, uh, visiting every state they were in, finding out what wasn't working, and then rebooting their brand there. And that's when. Uh, I would come back from the U S and Mike and I would get together for beers because we grew up in the industry together. started same, same tier, same level, same time, <clears throat> working the same festivals, you know, two o'clock in the morning leaving and going to have some pints someplace or whatever. So that was, uh, that was what brought us up to, uh, we started hanging out having beers and I was like, man, there's so many great beers. And, and then the dream happened. Right.
3: <laughs> right.
0: Okay. That's amazing. So, Mike, what's your side?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've been lucky in that, uh, you know, I've spent my entire working life in craft beer. I, I went to Laurier in Waterloo and um, applied for a part-time job midway through university at three places. Sam the Record Man, a local bar, and Brick Brewery. <laughs> and Brick Brewery hired me on the spot to work in their retail store ringing in sales. Right. Um, you know, worked was my that? way up there to events manager, marketing manager. Where was um, it- Bricks in Waterloo. So Brick Waterloo. Brewery is, yeah, so they're they're kind of the second, they're they're their total OG status. Okay. They're probably the second oldest craft brewery in Canada and oldest you know, in Ontario. And the oldest in Ontario. Wow. December 1984. And so again, I know what I didn't know at the time. You know, if I would have known I was spending <laughs> a you know a life in craft beer, it would have been even more special to me. But it, it was really it was really special. Jim Brickman, who again is kind of our Canadian craft beer OG uh, I got to know him well and my office was beside his I had this shitty little office uh you know where the person that had it before me was a 10-year smoker in the office so the walls were <laughs> yellow brown and and gray oh. and and Jim would just grab me and say hey let's go grab lunch and let's go uh you know if we had festivals he'd say where are you going to be this weekend you know pick me up and let's hit some festivals and you know he'd be buying you know pints for everybody in the beer garden and, and just being the guy and so that was kind of my you know my start and uh you know fell in love with the community fell in love with the people fell in love with the movement i laugh now that like back in those days and i'm sure chris can can echo it is you know i would be doing tastings you know at a festival or at a sponsored event and you had to really twist people's arm to try you know uh, something that wasn't canadian or blue back then hmm. you know it people just kind of weren't weren't nearly as receptive and as eager and it was a lot of convincing and um, but it was great. I fell in love with it, um, you know, moved around to a couple of breweries and then, you know, for most of, I had a really good run at Muskoka Brewery, lived up in Muskoka, milked that region for everything it could possibly be worth, <laughs> um, swam in every lake and tried to climb every tree. And, uh, you know, so I was director of marketing there and, and helped Muskoka go through their uh, rebrand and the launch of, you know, the beers that we all kind of love now, Mad Tom and D Tour right. and... Uh, legendary oddity, and uh, it was a blast. It was it was a really great time to kind of join that company, much like Chris did at Steam Whistle
3: mm. when
2: it was a really small, scrappy operation, and kind of watch it, you know, really blossom and grow. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, to Chris's point, you know, we we were traveling a lot, both of us individually, you know, discovering all these amazing breweries and beers. We both were dealing with the LCBO, so we understood the way that channel worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and decided, hey, if we could start a business that is finding the best beers possible with cool branding in places of the world we want to travel, um, that'd be kind of a fun business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's created a lot of adventures since and probably a few gray hairs, but uh,
0: <laughs> a lot more smiles. Okay, amazing. And that all started eight years ago as far as when you guys actually made it happen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The- yeah. We – uh we 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 incorporated, well, we started it a little bit earlier, uh, like conceptually, but then we fully incorporated and pulled the Band-Aid off uh, eight years ago.
2: I think our actual anniversary is I think we we started the company in like in like September, but we count our actual anniversary as March when we got our first check. Right. <laughs> when we made our first little little bit of uh, income. So you know we probably gave ourselves a bit of a runway there.
0: That's amazing. So it was
2: a side hustle at first then? Or no? No, I mean, we both kind of jumped in, you know, for the most part. It t- uh, it, take, it does
1: take time, though. Like, yeah, of course. You know, from us talking about it, you know, the funny thing about getting an agent's license in Ontario is you can't get an agent's license uh, until there's a brewery or winery or distillery that signs on saying, I want you to be my agent, hmm. which sounds kind of wacky of like, when you're visiting and we were doing this, Mike was down in Texas. Alberts was our first person to sign the letter. This guy that he was doing mostly bottle condition stuff. Wasn't he? Or- yeah.
2: I was down at South by Southwest. I was going to South by Southwest. Love it. And I said to Chris, as we were really, really kind of conceptualizing this, I said, I'm coming back with a letter. I'm going down and I'm coming back with a letter of somebody saying you can import us. And, uh, yeah, I rented a car and just hit up a ton of breweries until, yeah, finally Adelberts, um, you know, said, sure, let's let's give it a shot. Yeah, and, and so you, you had to have this, you had to have a letter,
1: someone assigning you as their agent to represent them before you could actually become an agent to represent them. Uh, so once we we, we were grinding it out trying to find this letter and, you know, it's tough with the U.S. guys because the three-tier system in the U.S. and the way, how litigious it is, like – the us guys were always kind of like wow if i sign on with you then we'll be connected for life and we're like no no it's not like that in canada like right. you send another letter tomorrow to the lcbo saying yeah they're not my guys anymore and we're not your guys anymore right like right. it's pretty easy to break up i mean obviously you can have contracts and whatever and your sunset but you know breaking up is easy to do uh, when uh when when you're when you're an agent here it's not like you own the rights to those brands here. Like they, they mm-hmm. still own them. Um so then we became an agent and then we could really start uh we had a number, we seemed legitimate now. <laughs> and uh and, and then everything's everything started moving.
0: Okay, interesting. Okay, so it started as an agent and then moved into kind of what you're doing now, which is I guess still agent work, but you're facilitating uh local contract brews so that instead of importing Beers like this, which probably wouldn't travel so well, you're brewing them fresh, right, yeah. locally for the the market. Much like you know a lot of the macros, you know Heineken brewers were in every market, and I imagine Budweiser brews in every market, and things like that. Which oh, is, even
1: even Stella, <clears throat> uh, even Stella and uh, Corona are, are be brewed uh, <clears throat> are going to start to be brewed in Ontario now soon too. Let's grab Let's another cra- beer and we'll get into the second chapter. I was about, about. to
0: say, I, I realized I didn't think of it, but I, I saw you guys splitting. Uh beers, and I was like, fuck, you guys are gonna move faster. Which one should we go next?
2: You wanna go Zodiac or Fresh dirt?
1: Uh let's do Zodiac. because I think it's a more complimentary step. Okay.
0: I like um it. Yeah. Oh, no no, babe. Sorry, uh the other fridge, uh all black can uh with green on it. The aliens? Uh with the aliens, yes. <laughs> with the aliens.
2: With the aliens.
0: The aliens. Yo, this is some of the yeah, so cans of all time. They don't want to cut you off, thank you. Look at this can. Look at this. This is beautiful already. But like I just love that. Look at that that old black lid on the old black can. It's just stunning mate. I Yeah, and It's a it. black black lids are a pain in the ass to package. <laughs> I bet cuz I noticed because, even, uh, like I guess it kind of can get scratched
1: in the canning machine from the side. They of can them. get they can get they can get scratched and the laser has a hard time uh one of the oh. one of the uh, checks to tell if uh, if the beer the fill level's great is to bounce a laser off the lid and look for deflection of wow. how puffed okay. out the lid is and, uh, when it goes by the laser and the the black lid eats the laser so the thing would be like <laughs> no can no can pun 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 <laughs> and start kicking <laughs> stuff everything uh, 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 kicking kicking the cans off the line so we really had to work hard when we made the decision to do the black lid because we thought it was cool and we had to work really hard uh to
0: make it actually work (laughs) that's actually i never even thought about any challenges for that i didn't know about the laser that's dope that is uh, well not everyone not everyone
1: uses that that type on their canning lines i guess for looking for low fills some people use weight or whatever
2: this one looks for deflection so this beer is this beer is fully my jam like this beer you know is is my my style of ipa you know a little bit dry you know, beautiful kind of uh, you know hot blend of all the C's, Columbus, Centennial, Citra. Um, you know, hazy, unfiltered, um, and again, that kind of dryness on the back end makes it, uh, I think, incredibly drinkable and incredibly welcoming to that to that next sip. Yeah, um, yeah. This was so. This is kind of the this is our our our, our top selling Omni Pollo skew. It's in the LCBO. It's Great. it's a top ten IPA in the LCBO now. It's to a top twenty-five craft beer in the LCBO. Um, top you know, it's it's done great for us, and it's 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 not you know the cheapest IPA in the LCBO for sure, but it's it's really worked as a year-round beer because I think it's it's got great branding, obviously by Carl Grandine, um, who does all of Omnipoils artwork. Um, but it's a super solid IPA. and It's a super drinkable IPA while still being really rewarding.
0: Yeah, man. I feel like when I first had this, it wasn't as hazy. I feel like it got kind of like hazier and juicier over time. Is that accurate or am I... It was, it, was, it was always hazy. Some markets, yeah. it isn't as
1: hazy. Um, and and certainly, uh, certainly, you know, as you dial in the haze and anyone that brews knows like haze can be a bit of a a difficult beast to dial in when you're yeah. working with a recipe and And so there might have been some that were a little bit less hazy in the early days because, you know, you're also – we were adjusting recipes for the brew house at Brunswick, but also adjusting recipes for the centrifuge, which a lot of people weren't using a centrifuge yet. And you don't have any turbidity scales, so you don't know what your range is. So you're kind of like looking at it as you go. And and so – there was kind of massaging, massaging the recipe to make it friendly for our system at Brunswick, and then also to dial in that turbidity and find out what's the perfect amount of haze and mm. and uh, and get it there. So there might have been some that were a little bit clearer. I know some other markets, like uh, I have seen, I have seen some that are a little bit clearer than that. And I think it's, you know, it's just one of those things. Again, uh, working with centrifuges, anyone that's done it is a bit of an art. Like you need an operator who really and a team a brew team who knows how to work with that and how to get the uh, the proper amount of haze and then obviously stable haze versus you know snowflake snow globe you know colloidal fallout of just like flakes everywhere and and all that jazz but uh which is a whole other ball of wax in this (laughs) in this hazy world
0: yeah it's kind of crazy um no, I can imagine that would be like something to dial in. that makes a lot of sense. But this is definitely I feel like this is just sort of like the next the, the big brother or sister of uh the Mazarin as far as yeah. Mazarin? Mazarin. M- Maz. Mazarin, yeah. It actually, used to be Mazarin, yeah. Yeah, it's actually technically Ooh. called uh Maz
2: now. Oh it's just That's called amazing Maz.
0: Amazing. I'm sorry. Anyway. Okay.
2: Well, it was originally Mazarin and, and Mazarin <coughs> is uh is actually <coughs> one of Carl Grandine's kids names and uh, he named he named that later cool, eh? after one of his one of his kids. Okay. So this beer um, is, you know, what Omnipoyo classifies, you know, as close to a house IPA as they have. Mm. Um, and Hanoke does a really great, you know, video on it. So Omnipoyo right now is building this insane brewery just out of Stockholm in this church. They bought this church and they're converting it into this um, just unbelievable beer trip, um, which, which I really think is going to put it as a, as a major European destination. Mm. And so yeah, they've always kind of had this as their house IPA without a you know kind of quote unquote house. And and so now that they're building their own house, I think Zodiac's gonna have a have a real kind of soft spot in that in that facility. And and we've been brewing it at Brunswick and and you know, for I guess four years now. Okay. Um, and still to this day, you know, Omnipoyo has us kind of shipping some cans, you know, to some other facilities <clears> that they <throat> brew out around the world because they, they just kind of love this as the benchmark, you know, for this beer uh, globally, which, which we've been super stoked about.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. The hop bill on
2: this one, what are we talking? Uh, the C's, Columbus, Centennial, and Citra.
0: Love it. It's definitely got a touch of that similar, like that Vermont, that like, little like piney bitterness, but a little bit less. Than the mass, maybe I should go side by side to check. And um, but I feel it's a little. little obviously, it's an extra six f- percent uh, or point six of a percent. That's five point six. And it's a six point two. So it's a little yeah. little thicker in the mouth. Similar mouthfeel. though super creamy. Um, really tropical. Super fruity. It's a genuine pleasure to drink. It's just fantastic. The mouthfeel on these things is disgusting. I love it. They're really like, <laughs> like they're really yeah this one continues
2: to be my jam i think it always will be my jam it's uh yeah yeah i I feel super stoked that we get to brew it and and sell it and represent it and do it justice because i do love this beer yeah um so yeah so for you know for context yeah so when we started craft brain company i mean we really started as a traditional beer import agency okay you know wanted to find kind of beers and wanted to import them and and represent Mm -hmm. them and Probably one of the things that Chris and I took for granted in our, you know, Ontario brewing days and being very involved with the OCB is, you know, the advantages of being able to direct distribute in Ontario,
0: right. you
2: know, the advantages of being able to, you know, load beer onto a truck and deliver to a bar or a restaurant or an LCBO, um, whereas the way the system in Ontario is set up is anything brewed outside of Ontario uh, has to be kind of imported as an import and, and distributed through the LCBO warehouse. And, and, and access to draft. Yeah, getting right. get you know a
1: lot of craft breweries. They want to have draft, especially when you're talking to. We have a lot of American breweries in our portfolio. I was like, okay, when do we launch draft, and how do we do this? And it's like, wow, well, uh, pull up a chair. This is not going to be a short one. Like right. draft is hard to launch in in, a, in Ontario. We have four partners you can choose from essentially, and, and uh, you know it just it's it's super expensive and it's hard to compete on draft. So. Whereas when you're in Ontario, when you brew it in Ontario, then whatever format of draft you can have two different types of kegs, and you don't have to pay for listings, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to worry about it being old or taking time to travel here, breaking the cold chain, and not having you know having warm stored kegs or whatever. You know, you take you take control over that that aspect of it.
2: Yeah. And and you know so we represented these great brands and and some of them you know were already kind of um, brewing around the world like Omnipoyo has this philosophy of you know if they're going to launch a new market brew in that market to be able to have fresh beer to be able to kind of intertwine with the brewing fabric in in that community and and so they already kind of had that approach so you know probably. Uh, Four years into us having the agency, three years into us having the agency, we had an opportunity to get involved with um, a brewing facility in Toronto, you know, where we were um, you know, involved with finding the location and, and helping to build the team and, and figuring out what this facility was going to be. And that was you know, what, what is now Brunswick Beer Works. So uh, a partner brewing facility in East York, Toronto. Um, that brews beers for breweries that you know either need excess capacity. Ontario breweries that you know are, <laughs> are bursting at the seams and need excess capacity. Right. Uh, guys that don't have their own facility or international brewers that you know want to take advantage of of having fresh beer in market and you know having you know better kind of distribution you know access. So you know we got involved with Brunswick and started to kind of you know talk to our partners, guys like Omnipollo and Mickeler and say. You know, hey, if we built a a world class facility, would you be open to brewing locally? And we knew with guys like that, that they'd be like, absolutely, that's part of our business model anyway. Uh, We're in. So we had this really great, um, you know, what we think was advantage in this market of having relationships with some of the top brewers on earth, having access to building out, um, you know, what is really a spectacular facility. with Ludwig Swinkels, you know, as the master brewer, you know, who is part of the Swinkels family, he was the brewmaster at La Trappe for 14 years, helped develop a La Trappe barrel aging program. Uh, he's an eighth generation brewmaster, you know, sure. and for a Canadian, you know, to hear that, it's just like that doesn't make sense. Um, we don't have that eighth generation brewmasters. <laughs> eighth generation people. Yeah. And so, you know, and he's a metalhead and-, and he loves barbecue. Yeah. Like, he doesn't get any better. <laughs> it was <He's> awesome.
0: awesome. <laughs> what a bloke. Okay. So, he <laughs> maybe, um, so when, he, just to sort of maybe step back just a touch, when you were as, a, as an agent pre Brunswick, as an agent in those first few years, who were you working with and how did the relationships, because it sounds like you had the relationships with Onnapolio and Michelin and, and those type of breweries in that, first few years so who are you repping and how did those particular um relationships come about with those guys because it seems like they were quite impactful on the business
2: even to this day yeah, yeah absolutely big rock was number one big rock out of alberta was with an, a wine agency at the time um great 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 folks yeah great folks yeah. you know in in my days at brick brewery um Brick and Big Rock had a licensing deal back in in those days. It it ended up falling apart, but they had a licensing deal where where Brick was brewing uh, Big Rock's beer for Ontario. Much like, you know, me being, you know, a 19-year-old kid and trying Waterloo Dark for the first time uh, from Brick, which was just a dark lager that kind of blew my mind and opened my my eyes to, you know, those kind of beers, my first taste of traditional ale, Big Rock's traditional ale, uh, you know, which, again back in the day was this hot bomb. It's definitely not today based on these standards of what we're drinking. But at the time it was a super unique and different beer. And, and that was a real, you know, mind blower for me for sure. And, and a beer that really shaped me. And Chris went to Waterloo and, you know, kind of had similar experiences with that mm-hmm. beer. So we, we had some pretty deep, uh, you know, memorial roots to kind of that brewery and that beer. Yeah. Um, and then an opportunity came up to work with them in Ontario, and we were looking to start an agency, and they had volume in the province, and we had a lot of respect for them, and we jumped at it. Um, and really, they they allowed us to to keep our lights on, you know, for for the first little bit, which was which was great. You know, we'll always be indebted to them. That's yeah, awesome. they they.
1: Uh, it's <coughs> funny, I'm an identical twin, and uh, both my brother and I are in the beer industry, and we both worked at Steam right. Whistle, and. <laughs> And now, and now he he works at Big Rock. He's based out of Calgary. He moved out. He opened up the West Coast for Steam Whistle back in the day right. when they were opening up Alberta and then BC. And and now he he uh, does their uh, government relations biz dev for uh, for Big Rock and is based out of Calgary. But uh, I mean,
2: the story of how Chris's brother Brad got the job at Steam Whistle is is a is a is one of legend for sure.
0: Do we want to touch it? Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, we can we can have a little we can have a little pause and, and yeah. talk about that. But I, I, so. I, I mentioned I wanted to be an actor in the city. I went to University of Waterloo for theater, moved here, whatever, and uh, and I just started working at Steam Whistle, and uh, I got an audition. I had an agent, I got an audition, and I was like, oh man, it's like on one of the days that we had production in that time, Steam Whistle was only bottling like Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I didn't want to miss it. It was like, I need I need to work these hours, I need to make some money. I was like, my take-home, my take-home pay was 15 grand. My rent was 12 grand a year and I needed every dollar I could get so I could actually eat uh, and not not uh, not get kicked out of the house by my now wife. Uh, and so I had this audition come up and I was like, oh, it's right in, the, right in the middle of the morning on a production day. But I had this ace up my sleeve of I have an identical twin brother who looks exactly like me. So, And he happened to be in the city speaking at sleeping on my couch doing SFA. And so I'm like, oh, here's the solution. Solution is, dude, gotta do me a solid. I'll go into work in the morning. You come at 10 o'clock for the break, wear my audition clothes. We do the old switcheroo. You put my steam muscle gear on. I take the audition clothes. I go do the audition, come back at lunchtime. And he's like, well, like, what do you do? Like, how do you you work in the production line? I'm like, man, it's super noisy. Do what everyone else is doing. There's like 15 people loading bottles under this, feeding this machine as fast as they can load bottles in to, right. to into the bottle washer. I'm like, just like mm-hmm. do what everyone else is doing, wear steel toe boots, everything will be fine. Watch the title credits to Laverne and Shirley, and you know, you're good. So we do that. We pull off this perfect crime. I come back at lunch, we swap out, no one knows. Like it is perfect. Then he goes out to the tap room at Steam Whistle. And in those days, like the tap room was a graveyard, you know? There, there was the Sky Dome and, and the ACC and nothing else down there. Right. Everything south of the train tracks didn't exist feral cat colonies, big open brown fields of nothingness. So the retail store were like, they were like, oh, a customer. And they're right. like, "Hey, Chris, are you done? Are you done work for today?" And he's like, "Oh no, I'm his uh, twin brother, Brad." And they're like, "Here, have a pint of beer." Right. So I get off work at like four thirty. I finish polishing the floors. We used to polish everything down at the end of the workday, make it nice and clean. I come out, and he's holding court now. You know, few pints in, holding court, and he's regaling people with this caper that we just pulled off, like a couple hours before that. And I'm like, it's dude. What, what what this was supposed to be a clean getaway and now you you just you wrecked it you wrecked it and uh and we get called upstairs and then he got offered a job. And so then so then as as it goes he started working the production line the forklift driver uh, uh became a delivery guy I became the forklift driver cuz I worked on a farm as a kid and I had to drive a tractor which made me super qualified for the forklift right. which I still like Forklift driving is probably mm. one of my favorite jobs in the whole craft beer industry, to be honest. I, I love that. Fun. It was ah, super fun. So yeah. then, uh, so then uh, that was, uh, that was how, that was how we both got into the beer industry then. That's and ins- then, and then he started working at big rock. We started chatting with big rock about representing them here in Ontario.
3: <clears>
1: they were looking to fill a Southern Alberta sales manager. And we had a good rapport going with the CFO. And he's like, "Oh, do you know anyone? And I'm like, I think I know a guy. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then before we got the contract done, uh, he, 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 he was job. working over at Big Rock. That is insane. That is so yeah. cool. Hey, man, let's get to it was the super, And it was super nice. I mean, you know, when we were sitting here uh, as a young agency thinking, all right, well, you know, we have a handful of guys that have given us their letters, you know, all cool breweries. You know, did we ever think that Big Rock would be the one that would tip the scales for us? Mm-hmm. It was never on our radar. Like to be honest, we're like, ah, oh, you know, they've been they're 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 old. Like they're the oldest oldest craft brewery in Alberta. And Ed McNally is probably similar to Jim Brickman and and any of those OG yeah. uh, craft beer folks. They are fired up. They are pig-headed. They are uh, uh, a force to be reckoned with and uh, uh immovable objects and in you know the spirit of that like perseverance yeah. uh we we had a lot of nostalgia we had a lot of the feels for that brand and yeah. and, uh, and 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 we were like oh i don't know it might be too big for us it might not be crafty enough for us you know it might it might not be our jam mm-hmm. but man lovely people and and great great beers uh a great roster beers they're actually just Retiring the first beer I ever had of theirs way back in the way back uh, in the '90s uh, was Warthog. Uh, They have uh, a nice English mild called Warthog, and uh, they just announced uh, this week that they are retiring Warthog from permanent the permanent roster of beers, which is my brother's favorite favorite beer. He's pissed. uh, He's stuck up. Well, he's forlorn. He's probably inconsolable, actually.
0: Maybe they'll bring it back on a special occasion. You never yeah. know. I, th- I think they'll ones. probably brew. Mm.
1: They they have a couple of different sized mm. uh, brew houses mm. there. You'll probably
2: be able to twist someone's arm to get get it in. Little pilots here. Something. Something. Okay, okay, so that's you know, it's funny. It's it's funny when you ask though about you know the you know the, the the first brands that we got and stuff because you know I mean, man, some of my some of my most fond memories in the beer industry were you know Chris and I going, all right, what breweries in Michigan do we love? Like mm. let's jump in the car and go visit as many of those breweries as we can in Michigan and, and see if we can, you know, get some guys to agree to let us bring their beer in, you know? Right. And, um, you know, all of those meetings are wildly memorable, some for awful reasons, some for, you know, us getting stood up, some <laughs> for, you know, just hilariousness, but man, like, it really is just kind of what rounds out this industry of you can, you can wander into a brewery and, and start talking beer and say, Hey, we're importers from Canada and get into a great conversation and a great couple of pints. And sometimes things come of it and sometimes they don't, but some of those relationships of the nose that we got, you know, eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, you know, have still become you know good friends and, and good colleagues in the industry. And it's, it's something so special about this, this industry we find ourselves in and, uh,
0: it's just so great. No, man, that's awesome. On the on the Michigan thing, um, did you end up landing any clients out there? Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. So who yeah. did you end up bringing? So we, in?
2: so we ended up. So our very last meeting, our of very the,
0: first meeting
1: was Arcadia. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we landed them. And we landed them. I mean, who was it? Sorry, three Ar- Arcadia Ales, Arcadia oh, uh, okay, yeah. out of uh, ba- Battle Creek.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um,
1: they uh the the brand the the brewery itself doesn't exist anymore i think their brands still exist i think someone bought their brands but we met this absolute
2: beauty gem of a human
1: rick suarez who uh, had been like through the industry really great guy and we rolled into their little brew pub before they had uh, they have a nicer facility now uh, or had a nicer facility we rolled into the little brew pub and it was our very first meeting and it was like in Mike, the history of our company. In the history 30%. of our company. Right. It was like wow. Mike and Chris Roadshow day one of <laughs> let's get some beers. Let's get some more breweries going. Like let's come back <clears throat> with more letters of people we can get, we can get across the finish line. And, and Michigan's close. Obviously, for us, it's easy to get to. Yeah, yeah. Uh and uh, and and we rolled in and it was a little bit, it took a little bit warming up, but then man, after that, we were. Drinking we're, cans we're off, off the, the line. Yeah, we and, were off the races. Oh yeah, and and then we landed them, and they they had uh, we brought in their London Porter uh, in here, which is uh, I think a 99 on rate beer, absolute beauty beer, um, uh, absolute beauty beer, and then we launched uh, them in draft too in Ontario, yeah, which is another story. But uh, they they that was stop one on our Michigan road show that we were doing of let's get some let's get some beers here. And we came out high fiving. It was like, you got the, we got the letter signed, you know, we got some, you know, three cases of beer of different samples and, and, uh, you know, their, their world beer cup two year in a row winner, serial killer, which was like this crazy barley wine. We had like a, a vertical of that, that Rick gave us like, it was like, we were just you, you you couldn't you couldn't erect yeah. our day. It yeah. was just a banner. And that was just the beginning.
2: Right. Yeah, it was it was beauty. It's you know, those those trips, you know, <laughs> walking into Brewery Vivant, you know, when they were just starting out and and uh, it was a great trip, you know, and Michigan is such a great, you know, craft beer pocket, you yeah. know, of North America, you know, and uh, you know, we went to, you know, one of my favorites was going to New Holland. New Holland was our last visit of the the trip. And so Chris and I are driving to New Holland. It's summertime. We're both in shorts and flip flops and t shirts. And we pull into New Holland's parking lot. And, you know, we're like, all right, let's do the change. And we both put on pants. We put on, you know, a golf shirt. You know, we put on a pair of shoes. And, you know, we go walking in and we say to the receptionist, you know, hey, we're here to see uh, Brett Vanderkamp and, you know, their, the, who's their president and their co founder. She's like, yeah, no problem. I'll let Brett know you're here. So we're sitting kind of in this little waiting area downstairs and we hear this dude upstairs, you know, say to somebody, you know, Susan, have I told you you're doing a great job lately? And she's like, yeah, you have. He's like, okay, great. I just wanted you to know you're doing a great job. So this dude comes down the stairs. He's in board shorts and flip flops wearing a backpack. And he's like, Mike and Chris? Hmm. We're like, yeah, who are you? And he's like, I'm Brett. So he's their president and and whatever. So we go, oh, nice to meet you, man. We'll be right back. (laughs) We walk by the car. We go Take our pants, shoes, and off. You know, put on our board shorts and flip flops. We come back and we hash out this meeting for you know the Ontario rights. You know, at a picnic table on the front lawn at New Holland. We had Holland, a little deck drinking we, beers. Yeah, we had a little deck
1: to show them. You know, uh, all this. We're walking through and we're sitting at this picnic table having a beer, going through the deck, and uh, it was it was. Um, and he he is. I mean, the whole brewery. Every people in Michigan are really nice, anyways. Yeah. But the, these guys at New Holland were beauties. We. He's like, yeah, you want to go on a tour? And then we get uh the, one of the guys, Joel, Dr. Joel, who is like one of our oldest buddies there, now oldest buddies there. He comes out and and we go on this tour. And in like the first stop when we walk in these garage doors is a beer fridge. And it's like, he opens it up and he's like, uh, grab a beer. This is what this one is. You know, let's go for a stroll, but grab a beer and get get ready. So then we go for this full-on. Tire Kick, everything, Tour of the Brewery. Yeah. Everything. They they were building their Sours program at the time, Uh in the early stages of building their Sours program, before they had the full… The House of Funk. Yeah, the full House of Funk with the fooders and all that. They they were just starting out. They were also just rolling up uh, Dragon's Milk, which we've had in Ontario here a handful of times.
0: And that was, was from a, you guys? Yeah. yeah Because I had it back uh, in the day. Yeah. That's why I'm asking, because there's a bunch of Michigan beers that I got. In Ontario, we did a couple trips out there, but I remember specifically, I wanted to know if them specifically, the other one, I don't know if you're gonna to get to it, but Jolly Pumpkin, was that you? No, no, it wasn't us, us. no. We wanted us, it to be but us, but. but uh, someone be you to like, it? Okay, yeah. so you did that so that you really were able to like really dig into that brewery and like really have, make strong connections out there?
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it was, you know, we, we definitely left, you know, that trip oh, cool. and, and that visit being like, you know, I think this is going to be a pretty fun business. Like, you know, again, we both knew the beer industry, so it wasn't like we came from, you know, textiles and, and this was like, oh, shit, this seems fun. Right. You know, we came from the beer business, but, but that was really like, man, we're going to make some, some lifelong relationships here, obviously drink incredible beers, um, you know, and create some great stories. Wow, the, the New Holland guys, like we, after
1: we do the tour of the brewery, it was Wednesday and Wednesday was like staff barbecue day. So like, Hey, go over there. There's another building over there where we make our shirts and all this stuff. And we repurpose the barrels that we age, uh, dragon's milk in and their and their beer barrel bourbon, which is award winning. So we go over there and we roll in and the, and, and these guys that no one knows us from Adam, but we've been told to go over there and they embrace us. We start drinking beers, hanging out. And then the brew pub, they have a brew pub downtown. Someone shows up with a bunch of sausages from the brew pub. And uh, and they're like, oh, it's staff staff barbecue, and everyone's like, who's gonna barbecue? And I was like, oh, barbecue, I like to barbecue. <laughs> so then uh, we're barbecuing for the staff. Brett comes over and he's like, what the hell's going on? These Canadian <laughs> guys are here as our guests, and now they're barbecuing for you guys. Like, <laughs> so we're drinking
2: beers, and then you you want to tell the uh... so they had, they had a game of cornhole. <laughs> you know, you know what cornhole is, right? Yeah, you know, love meat, that shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they got a game of cornhole, a couple guys are playing it, and Brett comes over to Chris and I, and he's like, you know, uh, me and, what was that cat's name? What was his name? He, he, he was a gem as well. Anyway, he's like, you know, me and our operations guy are going to take you guys on uh, in a game. We're like, done. <laughs> so the whole staff gathers around, and it becomes this, you know, America versus, you know, mm. Canada kind of, you know, thing. And, <laughs> and Brett says, you know, so what do you want to play for? And we go, well, we've already secured the Ontario rights. Let's play for the national rights to your brand. And he's like in front of the whole staff. He's like, done. Let's do it. So we play. And it comes down to like, you know, an absolute last toss. Yeah. Um, And we took it down. And we won it. And like, you know, the staff's cheering. We're high-fiving everyone. (laughs) We're super loose at this point. Like, we're shaking hands with Brett. We're hugging. And it was just like... You know, it was wild. We showed up for a noon meeting and left their brew pub at, you know, quarter to two in the morning. They'd put us up in a hotel. And again, it was just like, man, like this is, you just, you just can't even dream this up. It just, it just kept going. They were like,
1: oh, after we did that, we had, you know, dinner there and and they're like, oh, the NPR is shooting some kind of radio thing down at our uh, brew pub let's all head downtown and let's go so then we go down to the brew pub and we're drinking more beer and we just having like uh, absolute amazing time absolutely and, and when we went back uh, like a year later it was two years later i can't remember when they had a they had a trade summit we and took the whole team down we took the whole team down drove down to michigan with everyone and and stayed there and went down for the trade summit where they they were showing all their suppliers from around the u.s and then the canadians and, uh, and they're like, uh, whenever, when we rolled in and we'd introduce ourselves like, Oh, what, where are you from? Where are you from? We're like, Oh, Canada. And they're like, Oh, we've heard about the Canadians. <laughs> and, uh, when we rolled up at the first place, when all the suppliers are getting into this hotel, total top takeover at their bar. And, uh, we go to, go to the bar and they're like, okay, do you want like a pint or do you want like the super pint? And I'm like, well, what, what's the difference? It's like, well, a pint is 16 ounces and a super pint is 20 ounces. I'm like, well. 20 ounces is actually a pint, so let me have a 20-ounce pint. So there's this whole long table of all the different distributors of the US. And we come sit down with our 20-ounce pints, and everyone else has 16-ounce pints, and like,
0: there's the Canadians.
3: (laughs) There's the Canadians.
0: (laughs) They can see you from a mile away. Yo, that's fucking awesome. I I I relate to a degree because I have similar experiences because I get to talk to like legends like you guys and when we go into breweries, we get treated extraordinarily well. People are very generous. Everything you're saying, I'm relating to in the same thing. And then all of a sudden, 100%. this afternoon, where you're supposed to just be like, oh, I've only got 45 minutes today. Guys, no worries. We'll keep it. Then three hours later, you're still recording the podcast. Then you get a drink afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, hey, oh, you guys want some food? You know, that type of stuff. I just feel like the all, everything you guys said is so indicative of the craft beer industry across the board. It doesn't matter where in the world you are. It's some of the best hospitality I've ever heard. These stories are fucking amazing. I can't believe you played Cornhole for a national contract. That's insane. Like, man. Yeah, insane. Fuck. Like insane. So <laughs> let's let's flip it, let's flip it your way
2: and and learn just Yo. a little bit about you here. Give us give us a just a really good kind of, you know, memorable brewery experience that is one of those ones that you kind of were just like, Man, I'm I'm in the mm. right spot here.
0: That's a great, I'm sure you've got hundreds, but Yeah. I'm trying to remember. We, back in the day before the podcast, I had a, I, my friend Scott was my co host back in the day. And the reason I'm relating a lot, when it was 2011, I started basically the stupid selfie thing, is when it all started. Um, it was this right. thing in Australia, my friends were doing called 365 Days of Beer. And you had to document yourself drinking 365 beers and like number them and quick one sentence review. And I was like, well, there's obviously not even 300 beers in the world so it's not going to work but let's just do it anyways my first Canadian winter let's go and then obviously that kind of went a bit nuts so we decided to go to Michigan on a trip and that blew my mind when I first went out there and really saw what was going on like so I've got and we've been back since to beer festivals and done podcasts and stuff out there so I'm a big fan of that but if it was like one experience that's a really good question because we've tra- we travel a, well, before all of this, you know, we traveled a lot for, for the podcast. I'm trying to think of something. Yeah, no,
2: absolutely. we we follow your travels and uh yeah, you know, I mean we
0: we live vicariously through you guys <laughs> at times. Cause you definitely have some good ones under your belt. Yeah, there's there's been some great trips, man. And and it's it's basically the same. What I would have noticed maybe as I talk I'll think of something that's standing out. Cause everything is like there's never been a bad one. Like you know obviously yeah, some yeah. were a little more like people were super like general so had more time than 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 others in context, but basically everyone is extremely chill and, and want to hang out. They want to do it. Um, you know, when you're coming into the Well the, the quote you know, has been thrown out there many
2: times, but there's just not many not many assholes in beer.
0: No. Really seriously man like I, I can't even think of anyone I really dislike in the industry yeah. itself. Yeah. Uh, the 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 actual people who own the breweries. Because you think about it, like you know, guys like yourself, you put in you're putting your livelihood on the line, you're putting all this money up to to start this dream. And it's always start comes with a dream, because what's better than making stuff that everybody loves and that yeah. gets people in a good mood to have a good time? Like you can't really go wrong and then your experiences like you guys like were just like, yo, this is the dream. And even just coming yeah. from your own individual Canadian experiences and then being able to take it to this next level now as the you know as business owners helping these breweries, you're here to help them, right? Like, I feel like that's probably maybe where we align. Like, my job is to amplify your, tell your story. I'm the, the conduit to telling the story. That's really all we do. Yeah. You guys are yeah. the conduits to bringing their product to a new market to then please and make everybody in Canada and Ontario happy. So, like, how can anyone be mad at people like us? Like, everyone wants to talk to people, like, because we're just here to offer something. For it all. So I think that, you know, and obviously beer people are just, there's this hospitality that, that seems to be built in. I imagine it's probably if you're a food writer or something, they'd probably treat you pretty good too at like restaurants and stuff. But maybe there's something special about beer that people are just. Uh,
2: Man, I remember, you know, the first time I was going to New Belgium Brewery, you know, in Colorado, I was going with uh, the owner of Muskoka, the president at the time. And I decided to fly. It was the winter time that we were going because we just wanted to go see. I mean, they are best in show, right? New Belgium. Yeah, man. In man. my opinion, you know, in my opinion, all across the board are best in show. Sustainability, culture, quality of beers, yeah. uh, attention to detail, all those things. So we were going down just to basically, you know, kick the tires there and get the dog and pony show. And they were unbelievably gracious with their time with us. I decided to go down three days early because it was winter to go snowboard for three days. So I flew down on my own. I decided to go to Breckenridge and um, I, emailed, I emailed Breckenridge Brewery. I emailed their info account, <laughs> okay. like just the info and was like, hey, uh, you know, I'm at a brewery in, in Canada. I'm coming down to snowboard, you know, would love to pop in. Let me know if there's somebody I can just come and say hello to. That was the email. Was this, by the way? This was, uh, so we've had the company for eight years. So probably that's called 11 years ago.
0: 11 oh, it was years. quite a while ago. Okay.
2: Before that. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I got an email back, you know, like seven minutes later from their head brewer being like, I'm your guy, text me when you get here and we'll do this. And I was just wow. like, man, this is why the industry is so great, right? Show. Yeah. Showed up, asked for the guy, we got into some beers, went for dinner, you know, we went snowboard the next day and. And again, that was just a you know a brewer you know a brewery guy in Canada shooting the info account to be like hey you know anybody want to say hello and it's your point it's that hospitality piece that you you, you don't get in many other businesses and many many other industries and it's worldwide
1: it's it's everywhere well, I went yeah. to Romania last year I emailed these guys uh, at the Mickler Brew Pub in Bucharest It's like hey stopping by you know and, and the red carpet got rolled out like totally rolled out for me. And there's a few guys, uh, that I was, I was with total red carpet, total, y- your hand couldn't even go in the pocket, right? Like it, it was just everything. Everything's taken care of. They're yeah. happy to happy to have people there. And they know it's one of those reciprocal things, right? Like do good and good will come back to you when you travel anywhere else. And, yeah. and everyone, there's so many people in the industry that are like us that, you know, when they travel, they want to be able to have great beers and learn great stories and meet great people. And they know that it it just in the grand scheme of things, it all just comes around and goes around.
0: Yeah. My friend Giles in Vermont calls it beer karma. So he always Beer Karma. Beer Karma. Every time I went down there, um, you know, we go to Vermont a lot because from Montreal it's you know two hours to Burlington direct, you know. Um right. and so we you know we go there off we got a bunch of really good friends there now. And he every time I went down, he's always he used to own a uh, like a hos, a ski hostel in an area called Warren, Vermont near the, like, I don't know which mountain it was. I can't remember, but it's sort of like in the middle of the state. But it's a ski hostel with an amazing beer bar. So I'd always wow. just go down there and i bring him Canadian beer and he would just give a trillion, a tree house, and just all this crazy shit. I'm like, dude, like, how do you, you get this stuff? He's like, ah, oh, it's a beer combo, bro. bro. Like people come through, they give me stuff, I give them stuff, you don't really worry. Like, beer, like you exactly the way you guys said, let it flow. The beer just flows. Yeah. And it's something that I've yeah. noticed. It's almost like, and I've tried to really take that on. I'm, I try not to be like a tight ass with anything. It's sort of like, if I can share, you know, obviously I have, it's, you know, I have to take some pictures and do content with stuff, but if i got extras and I can hook somebody up, I'll always do that. Obviously it was more, it was more fun before when we were traveling and I could always bring stuff for people, particularly over the border. Cause now it's a bit more difficult, but yeah, that beer come is a real thing, man. I, It's it's really funny to hear you guys tell all these stories because it really just almost sounds like almost like a more extreme version of the stuff that we have always experienced. And I always thought that we were in a somewhat unique position where we were traveling beer podcasts and people always treated us super, super nice because we're just trying to tell their stories. And they're exactly the same. You can't put your hand in your pocket. They're just like, now, you want some food? You want that? Here, take this to go. And you want a T-shirt? You want a hoodie? Like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, guys. Like, thank you. (laughs) You don't have to be that. Like. It's a lot sometimes. Like, like it's. I it's beautiful. I appreciate it, but I really think there's that. People here have that mentality. I don't think anyone's ever uh, too. Yeah, no one's really like everyone's just letting it flow, and and it, it really shows. That the energy that yeah, it's yeah. given and taken, it's it's so beautiful. Um, so quick... because we love to travel, what's
2: what's a destination you've done in the last couple of years that that hmm. really blew you away? It's. It
0: almost feels like you guys have always done everything that we've done. Um. The last cup, so we work with tourism offices is that is one way we've been able to continue to travel because otherwise if you paint out of pocket every time for that, it's yeah. redundant. So we worked yeah. with um, the Tourism Colorado. We went out there. That was beautiful. We did all, all through the state. Um, so we went to Breckenridge. And that's why I was asking where, because we went to Breckenridge Brewery and we interviewed the, the um, head brewer out there, Blake. So I wasn't sure if you knew him or not. I don't think he was there 11 years ago. But he was a G, took us up on the roof. Just kept playing. We had to go to another Colorado Springs for the next meeting or whatever. And he was like, Oh, you have to go. I don't know, man. These guys like, I booked the whole shit. We have to go. Like, I didn't want to go because he just wanted to keep playing us with beer. It was amazing. Like, on the top of the roof of the brewery, looking at the mountains. Like, that was actually one of the best experiences. Just bringing out all this, like, food just kept coming. You're like, Here's some wings. Here's some mac and cheese just coming in the middle of the podcast. Like, People just bringing them over and stuff. Like, damn, like this. And
2: you know their beers for what they are—delicious. You know pounders. They're they're delicious pounders, man. Like they make they make just some beautiful beers. Yeah, and even he was. Did you get to Great? Did you get
0: to Great Divide? We did not. So the problem with the tourism things is that you don't get a lot of independent choice, which is the bad part. Right. So they set up. You tell them, but the tourism folks don't really understand beer. So they don't really, they'll send you to places. And I'm like, why'd you send me here? I would never come here. No shade. But there's some places where I'm like, my audience doesn't care about this type of stuff. So we don't, we didn't always get, we went to JABF. That was the, the big thing we went to. This was 2018. We went to Casey. We wow, yeah, actually interviewed Troy Casey from, from there. He was actually from, on wow. top, Um. That was wow. that was definitely a highlight because that was a bonus thing that we kind of just finessed on the way. But yeah, we didn't get to Great Divide. We went to New Belgium in Fort Collins with the tourism lady, but we didn't get to interview them. We just got to hang out there right. and check it out. We did um, Odell. That was pretty cool. Odell was pretty big. Odell's, oh, nice. Odell's is they were top. money. Eh? Like yeah.
2: I, I, I say to a lot of
0: people, if you are going to go to Fort
2: Collins, you are obviously going to go to New Belgium. But Odell's is is Killing. just fantastic. Yeah, Fort Collins
0: is probably our favorite city in. Um, in Colorado for sure. It was it was incredible. Um that was definitely yeah. a fave. Um the one biggest surprise we worked with Tourism Virginia in twenty nineteen in the summer. Virginia was insane. It was just like a, a quick five-day trip where Colorado was like twelve days. This was like five and the idea is we wow. do like a a bre- media trip or whatever. And then if we did well and they the response was good, then they would bring us back and they wanted to do it. And then COVID happened right as last year when we were supposed to go back again. But um, Virginia was amazing. Alexandria we went to, which was cool. Uh, Richmond specifically, Richmond was out of control. It was kind of like the Toronto, Creole yeah. of the state where like that. I don't know if you guys have been down there. Yeah. Yeah. You did? Yeah. Did you go to Richmond? Did you go to like the yeah. Oh, yeah, and, like, yeah. Oh, Richmond's just insane. How crazy was Richmond? Like in Scott's addition, that whole area with like, um, what's the one that starts with V? There's a, a brewery um, Va- Vazen, Vazen. Like Vale Vazen, there was um uh Ardent. Um another one that started with S up I've forgotten more now, but there was just in this whole area there was like ten or fifteen
2: breweries. Yeah, the Vale the Vale spot there is is so cool. And there's that um I went to it. So there's that crazy beer bar that was for years rated one of the top beer bars. In
0: oh, we went there.
2: In, um, in, Mekong, and it's in that Mekong. Thai
0: restaurant. Mekong. And it's in like that yes. Thai restaurant. Or and the answer is it. door. Yeah. Yes. Dude, they had Bellwoods at yeah. the top when we went there. I couldn't believe it. This shit was crazy. Yeah. And the food, I, we were yeah. stuffed. And I was, we were watching yeah. the guy come with the big ass fucking things, dropping food off. We're like, ah, we have to get some food now. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. They just had everything. The answer next door was amazing too. Yeah, Mekong was one of the coolest places I think I've ever been as far as like how random is it? Like you said, it's like a Vietnamese or Thai restaurant. And it was just amazing. So crazy. Yeah. That was a big one. And we went down further to Norfolk uh, and um, Virginia Beach. Um, The Commonwealth Brewery down there, that was amazing. It was really, really cool stuff. They had a valet. To park there at a craft brewery, you had to pay, so you we went and parked in the side street just on principle. Like that, that didn't feel very craft beer to me. So change, yeah. <laughs> but, but the beers were, were amazing, so it was definitely worth going there. Well, um, Virginia is interesting because you get all these amazing
2: independents, and then it, you know they also made such a play. To be the eastern kind of location for so many big breweries, so you got yep. Ballast Point, you got Stone, you got Green Flash—not Green oh. Flash anymore—but no. you know those three that all kind of opened in Virginia under great tax incentives and everything. And so you, you know, they really—it's an interesting one. It, it's yeah. a super interesting one. I went down on a trade mission, Actually. you know, down there, and
0: it was—you uh, go to it was Action practice. Oh, there oh. you go,
2: O'Connor. Yes, I was there. Yeah,
0: I have a patch on my jacket. Yeah, there you go. Kevin, we interviewed Kevin that's O'Connor. A cool he, was a, he was a champion. They're the second biggest brewery in Virginia. And he was the loveliest yeah. dude. And he was like, I feel like they got like, their beers were so impressive. And he was kind of like, I feel like people just like front because we're like the biggest guys. And we make the stuff that's crushable, the gateway. But like, yo, yeah. like this stuff is fire too. And like, he was just super cool. Sorry, I interrupted you. And such a, such a cool spot. Right. Yeah. Their brewery was such a cool Beautiful. spot with that
2: little yeah. kind of event area. And yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah that would, that one stood out for me. I got a patch and I immediately sewed it on my jacket that has all <laughs> my patches. I, I really love that brewery.
0: Very yeah. cool. It's great stuff. But that whole region was was super impressive to us. I mean, obviously Vermont is the greatest place on the planet. I want to buy a property out there at some point. It's it's phenomenal. Even though it's America, right. America is a little bit of a strange place right now. But you know,
1: but Virginia's for lovers,
0: right? Yeah. It sure is. <laughs> it was yeah yeah we loved it it was so good um and san diego was one of the other places that um oh and san francisco went the last trip to the states i'm aside from vermont we went to san francisco we have clients we have a social media agency so most of our clients are in the tech world in silicon valley so we went out there to see clients and my girlfriend's like the account manager so i got to kind of like chill a little bit more and got to get go. i got some friends to do music so i got some rap friends out there so i went and met with him and Went around Oakland to the breweries and stuff. And we went to um, Russian River out there, which was beautiful. I imagine. Oh, nice. Do you guys check that out? No, it's very,
1: oh. very, very high on my list. But I, I, I remember where I was standing. The first time I had Russian River supplication uh, at the uh, craft Brewer's Conference. conference. Yeah. They were pouring yeah. it. And, and I was like, this, this is what a New World sour is supposed to taste like. Like uh, this is, this beer is awesome. And I immediately turned around, went back and got another helping of it. And I was like, this this is it. Like this is, this is the real deal. This is amazing, finely crafted beers. I'll tell you a thing about,
2: I'll tell you a thing about Chris, when it comes to, you know, Chris, Chris is very tough to impress (laughs) in in many different aspects. Right. So when Chris is, you know, excited or impressed with something, you're like, Oh, okay. Like we to try here. this. <laughs> so we were at the Craft Brewers conference together. And yeah, they had this Russian River on tap and I got something else. And he got that. And and he was like, Oh fuck, like this is unbelievable. And I was immediately like in line right away right. to be like, Okay, now I, I have to try it. If I mean if he's stoked about it, then this That's has to be rude. great. And it is, it really is one of the all time greats. I mean, they obviously have yeah. so many great beers, but supplication is uh is is pretty unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I wanted to mostly just tr- uh, drink planning on tap from the sauce. And oh, for sure, yeah. as you do. We went through um, a Napa. My girlfriend has a uh, a wine, spirits, and coffee kind of account. That's like the sister account to BOS when we travel. We're like we cover all liquid things. Yeah. And so we went through yeah, Napa yeah. And Sonoma for a weekend because we've always wanted to get out there. And they had these, like, even just like a, this like super popular like burger joint on the side of the road, nothing crazy, kind of like an old school dining thing. And their tap list was like mind-blowing. And they just had plenty sitting there when like, you know, we to try and get it, obviously for people like us out east is so difficult, not not even to mention the, on the Canadian side. Like even if we were in Vermont, it's like really hard to get. So just being able to just cruise around Napa Valley and just pull, pull in and get some food and so you could get like some fire local wine and then they just got plenty right there it was just glorious yeah man. like it doesn't get much better it really doesn't man like it's it's yeah. probably it's got to be top five of all time all styles so
2: yeah it's just not awesome not, man. not wow.
0: even to mention their other stuff I know we' I feel like we're geeking out over our own beer trips and stuff I don't want to get too far away from uh yeah yeah the, yeah no we, we also need another enough, beer here yeah man what are we doing next yeah. boys? talk to me what are we feeling? So many options.
1: Well, what, what, what else do we have left on the – Well, Chris uh,
0: and I both shipped you a box, and neither one of
2: us knows what we shipped. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was, it, was, it was funny. When we shipped yeah. the box, Mike shipped the box back on – Back to the 90s. Uh, uh, back to the 90s? Yeah, let's do back to the 90s. Back to the 90s? Okay. The, Lervig, uh, Lervig, the Lerv- back well. to the 90s. Uh, Mike shipped the box, and then uh, – he shipped the box. And then I was like, uh, oh, man, did he ship the box? I better sh- ship a box, too. So then I shipped the box. Okay. And then when I was like printing the shipping label, I saw that he had just shipped you one. I was like, well, I've
0: already printed the shipping label. So, <laughs> so I was like, why not? Um, it's called Back to the Day Before. And and did they yeah. both show up today? They both showed up at the same time. So I went down, but I didn't get two different um, uh, tracking numbers. It was the same one. Yeah, because it was. Yes, thank you. Oh, it was it- Yeah, it was the one tracking number. So when I came down, I was like, two of these. Like, oh, Okay don't, maybe I'm like, these are both pretty heavy. I'm like, we don't need that many beers for the podcast. Like Maybe these guys went a little hard. And I I, I opened them up and it was almost identical, but it had um, uh, a few little ones that were different, but it was almost identical. So I was saying to Michael, I've got a few um, beer media friends that I have to send some stuff to anyway. So some of the excess, whilst as much as I would like to keep it, I was like, maybe there's more value in Shipping the boys a couple of cans of some other stuff, and they'll post it on their accounts. and Some of them are here in Quebec, and one's in Ontario, who's our lead blogger. So, um, little might as well get some value for that, uh, fun fun, which I love. It. It's the ah, cool. best of all time. Um, yeah, this one, Craig, uh, your uh, sales rep out there in the southwest was uh, tell super excited about this one. Tell us about this one. This is one from Lerving, so we're switching it up a bit and just thing, yeah, Lerving's in stuff.
2: Lurvig's in Stavanger, Norway. Um, Norway, okay. You know, yeah, so they're in Norway. They are, um, they're, they're actually, one of their brewers is is Canadian. It's from Saskatchewan, and a guy, David no Graham, who we've just fallen in love with. And Mike Murphy is their head brewer, who's an American guy, who's obviously, you know, West Coast, uh, you know, uh, influenced. Okay. Super, super cool brewery. You know, we, they basically, we got a hold of them through Omnipoyo. So Omnipoyo was like, look, these guys are doing some really cool shit. Um, You should probably chat with them. So we all kind of got, you know, put in touch with each other. We haven't done a ton with them, but we've, we've thrown down some pretty, you know, great beers with them. You know, this one, we really wanted you to try. It's a bit oxidized now, but you know, as a red IPA, it it still holds up quite well. Yeah. You know, we we really wanted to do That's something idea. kind of different and interesting with them. And and we got on a call just like this. And Mike Murphy, their brewer, was like, look, man, I just want to go back to the beers that I fell in love with in the nineties that were all red. Every single one of them had a red <laughs> hue to them. Cop yeah. I wanna put yeah, I wanna put, you know, some hops in that I really like and let's do kind of an old school red IPA. And, you know, we canned it and and we just fell in love with it. And we've been kind of in love with it ever, ever since um it's a really really interesting beer these guys these guys from yep. Lervig, you know we we kind of swung for the fence a little bit with them they came to visit us and you know we were already in talks with them and they said you know let's let's kind of get together and have a chat so we had a couple beers in a patio and then they said you know let's we're going to kind of head down to buffalo think they think they're doing a collab with Finman man down in buffalo
0: mm-hmm. okay oh, and they man. said right yeah
2: yeah Thin Man's great. So they went down to do a collab with them, and they said, you know, we're coming back to Toronto on Monday. Um, let's get together and chat just about if we can work together and, you know, what this might look
0: like. This was recently, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, this was pretty This was pretty recent. So I
0: spoke to the dude on Instagram, I, and he said he was just leaving Toronto or something. So I think I, I was speaking to them at the time because I got – Craig gave me one of the beers, their milkshake IPA or something. Yeah. And I was talking yeah, to uh, they I, did a, a Hells yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, we did a Hells Yeah. What was it?
0: What was the one that we – the,
2: the freaky awesome one that we did? That Oot, and a
1: boot. Oot and a boot. Yeah.
2: Oot a boot was – yeah. I have another video. So we uh, – so I get a text from them on the Sunday okay. saying like, hey, so let's get together tomorrow morning and meet. You know, tell us what we need to bring. And so on the Monday was the Raptors uh, NBA parade in Toronto. Okay. So I said to them, look, I said, you know, absolutely, let's meet, you know, bring a pair of running shoes and nothing else and meet me at this address. And they were just like, yeah, great. I think they thought we were going to go see LCBOs and beer stores. I ended up taking them to a buddy's rooftop downtown that was on the parade route and was just like, let's see how this plays out. So about, you know, four beers in, you know, watching the parade go by, the city's going crazy, everybody's loving life their director of export puts his arm around me and just goes, I think this relationship's going to work out just fine. (laughs) And I was like, all right, man, you know, like I didn't know how this was going to go, but like I wasn't missing this parade and I figured you'd think it was kind of cool. So, you know, let's, let's do it.
0: Once in a lifetime, I guess.
2: Yeah. So we've been throwing down a couple beers for them. We're working to get um, something in the LCBO, but you know, for the time being, we've just been, you know, selling their beers through our online store. So our online store is, um, uh bodega.beer, www.bodega.beer. Link in the description. So our bodega is
0: what's that? Link in the
2: description. Book in the
0: description. Yeah. yeah right exactly. now, it's right there. Continue. So, <laughs> Continue.
2: Uh, yeah, we've been throwing down brews for them and selling them through our online store. And and um and people have just been loving them. You know, people have been really, really loving <laughs> the their super weird, kind of trippy designs, um, the styles. We've done a West Coast IPA, this red IPA, and a and a and a dry hop Hellas. Like I said, this one, um, you know, is starting to get a little bit oxidized. But the beauty of the kind of the red malt forward IPA is, you know, to me, even at this stage, it still kind of contributes to it. You start to get a bit of that raisin, a bit of that kind of plum. And and with their hop bill, it uh, it's an interesting beer. So because we don't have many red IPAs in Ontario full stop, no. um, you I know, it's got no- a real novelty for us for sure.
1: Yeah. I but like even- with this one, when we did... When we did oot and a boot, it was the same, it was the same brainstorming process of like we were sitting around and we said, uh, for oot boot, we were on a call and we we're like, you know what? You know what we really haven't had in a long time is one of those OG piney, top bomb dank, like yeah. old school IPAs. And like, yeah, let, let's do that. That sounds awesome. And it was Awesome! Like yeah. it was just it felt like, like
2: you were chewing on pine needles. It was
1: great. Oh, it felt it felt like you were going back to the beginning of craft beer uh, when IPAs were coming out. Like it was just like uh, you know everything to the everything to the extreme and and but old school hops, old school hop bill. It
0: was yeah. awesome. We should brew that one again, man. I love that. Beer. It was great. It Which was one great was that beer. called? Sorry, oot Utnabu. Oh, Boot. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Okay. So it was kind of like a West Coast.
2: Yeah, most like West Coast as you possibly get. Yeah, yeah, o- OG
0: West Coast. Yeah. Okay, yeah. kind of like was it like what sort of ABV we talking like the like more like Sierra? Uh, I think it was probably, probably
2: six, six high sixes, probably
0: six
1: something, and it, it didn't have. I can't remember the hot bill off the top of my head, but obviously it wasn't like your Citrus of the World. It was like Cascade and and Centennial, and like it Sheen was Hope it was getting into like those old. Yeah, old American hop, uh, the the first American hops that were coming out, and, and that defined kind of the West Coast style.
0: Totally know the vibes. No, that is that is super sick, and I think Lurvig are just such an interesting. They, it makes sense for your portfolio when you've got something like Michelin and then and then now these guys. It, it just it's like up there with like the more uh, fun and interesting European breweries, you know, because Europe isn't exactly known for their zany North American types right. stuff. And these guys just fit the bill across the board from their labels to the approach to beer, even though the point where this is back to the nineties. But like you said, Hell's Yeah, which Craig sent me recently, um, was fantastic. A Nice little dry help lager. Um, the freak yeah. shake, the milkshake one that had was, was super great. Yeah. I had a couple others from them, and everything I've had has been interesting, like really interesting beers. Um, and it's 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 a perfect addition to what you guys are doing. And it's something that that is interesting to the scene out here. Like everyone who's, you know it's 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 an import, but you've been able to do it because you brew this here, right? This is brewed here. Yeah, here. We do, yeah, we
2: brew them all here. Yeah, it's perfect because this is not the same. And stuff you know, here. I mean, when you look at when you look at their region, right? So, like, you know, Stockholm, you know, is is a great city. It's a it's a fairly, I would say, it feels a little bit more conservative, a little bit more prim and proper, a little bit more buttoned down, but it's a great city. You know, Copenhagen, you know, has a bit of that kind of weirdness to it that we like in cities when we travel, like a lot something of grit. something that's a bit grittier okay. and weirder and and more artistic. Okay. And then Stavanger is like this that's sea town. Is. Okay, it's like yeah. yeah, it's this sea town that is by no means a uh, you know a big city. It's it's as picturesque as it can possibly be. You're tickling the fjords. There's glaciers yeah. like nearby. Like it is, it is just a whole different kind of realm. So again, for us, we love what they're doing. We love the beers. We love the guys, but, um, you know, there's a real charm to where they are too, that, that makes it a real appeal to get there. And they do a beer festival once a year, you know, so we've been to the Mickler, you know, beer celebration. We've kind of tried to make that a habit and it's a, it's an animal of a European beer festival. It is fantastic and it's awesome and it's really big. The one that they do in Stavanger that, that David from Norway uh, you know, puts on uh, from Lervig, much smaller. It's invite-only. Um, all of the same amazing breweries you would hope to get at those big ones, but in a really small, unbelievably picturesque venue that just is, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's incredible.
0: That sounds so awesome. I mean, it's so cool that you guys have been able to get out there. Like, that's some regions I haven't been back to Europe since I've been into beer we were supposed to go last year but yeah, no, you know how that goes well, but, but like kinda, this kind of sounds like we need to travel somewhere together yeah uh, mate you say less as soon as as soon as we can i would love to because you guys are doing it you guys are doing it right like all all you like those are some crazy ass stories of, of you know you're going to the right well like, and,
1: and, and you have to put the Mickler uh beer celebration like if you've met up there like, every beer person out there if you yeah. love beer that has to be you know a milestone birthday or whatever you got to make that you have to go to it like it is the best beer festival we've ever been to and copenhagen's
2: it, an amazing city too yeah it, amazing city i've heard it's, a ton it's about a, it. oh it's, it's like one some, of our absolute favorites
0: isn't there like some sort of island just off it and the island was yeah weird, weed was legal or something like that yeah, well, it's yeah. there's
1: an island with like no rules, no laws. Like it's no an laws. island. That okay. was, uh, lawless society. Yeah. It, it was a military base at the uh,
2: Christian town.
1: Uh, uh, right? Yeah, Christian town, uh, yeah. where the, uh, the the basically it was a military base that they kept as like uh, outside of uh, outside of Denmark's laws, so that they could do whatever they wanted there, essentially. And then it was stormed by a bunch of hippies. And taken over and they've turned into this arts island. But yeah, there is a black market there where, you know, you walk yeah. down the black market and whatever you want to buy is there. <laughs> but then there's people that build houses, artists that build houses, and they're out there painting, sculpting, doing whatever. They've built the house out of scrap wood. They're living their best life. And
2: it's a it's a trip, man. It's a total trip. I
0: think- I want to see that shit. And ship. it's
2: right around the corner from Nyhaven, which is, you know, the most picturesque kind of aspect of Copenhagen. Most, you know, pictures you see of Copenhagen are the is this waterway and on both sides of sailboats and all these different color bars and stuff. And it's it's right by that. So that's where kind of everybody goes to get your pictures and say, I've been to Copenhagen. And then around the corner is this, yeah, like
0: Lawless Island, which is which is wicked. That's so cool, man. And the best but I guess I like, got that- all the fire beer there, I guess, it's like all the Mickler bars and stuff are all around there. That's where they're they're from. Yeah,
1: Bahaven. Uh yeah. like there's sour. Mickler has a sour cellar, a sour house, Bahavon, which is yeah. out near. I guess the cruise docks or the shipping docks. It's out on a bit of a point, point. Uh, and they have shipping container restaurants uh, nestled around it. Uh, you can get everywhere you want on a bike. They have this great bike program there, um, but it was absolutely beauty like biking out to the uh and 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 drinking some of their cellar beers and some of their exclusive beers out there was just a dream and it was
2: it was beautiful yeah if i had to sum it up so you i mean we we obviously knew prior to going out there that you know Mickler is a big deal in europe they're obviously a big deal in in the san diego area and they had a brew pub in new york and and whatever but that's kind of really all we knew is, you know, they've got cool designs, they make great beers, and they're kind of a big deal in Europe. The first time we went to Copenhagen, um, we decided to get involved with that bike rental program and try to bike to all of their locations in Copenhagen. (laughs) And I mean, they've got now, I don't know, it's somewhere between 15 and 20. So some of them are, you know, really cool tap rooms and beer bars. Some of them are all sour houses. Some of them are Doodle bar. Basement, weird nightclub kind of places, but that have unbelievable beer selection. Mm. They've got now two ramen restaurants that don't have a lick of English in the restaurant, and it's all Mickler beers brewed to pair with ramen. With vending machines and them in them and like um, wacky. Yeah, they've got that Bahaven, like Chris said, the destination. They've got, so you, you kind of spend about two days biking around to all of the Mickler spots that are all super fucking cool, right? Like there's really none, in my opinion, there that have jumped the shark of, wow, well, that's kind of feels corporate or whatever. Like they really are all unbelievable. And, and us leaving kind of those first couple days there, we were like, oh, I get it. I get it. Like I get why these guys are, you yeah. know, as cool as they are in Europe and doing what they're doing because they're doing just such cool different
0: things and they own it. They yeah. really own it. Um. Yeah, they're they're super cool. That's so dope, man! I love that you guys were able to connect with them. So the order of who you connected with, I guess the, the main ones that you know the, that I guess we're drinking, we're focusing on tonight are Omnipolio, Loving, and um and Mikkeller as well. Like, what was the order of how you connected with these guys? So I guess sounds like it started with Omnipolio. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was at the craft brewers
2: conference. You know, one of them in. I don't, I don't know which one it was. I picked up a magazine. Chris and I were thinking about starting the agency. I was still with, uh, I think, Muskoka at the time. And uh, there was this article of, you know, the top 30 IPAs to try before you die. And Nebuchadnezzar was one of those IPAs. Mm-hmm. And I saw the can. For anybody that's never seen the Nebuchadnezzar
0: can. Yeah, it's really cool looking. The spirals, right? The white yeah. spirals. Yeah,
2: so the Nebuchadnezzar can is, you know, that kind of deconstructed, you know, American flag kind of, you know. The, cool the original design. bottle label had the stars
1: uh, collected mm. down at the bottom. So the stars had fallen off the, the flag the, and the stars had fallen off this part of the flag and were like collected down here on the, on the old school bottle label, which is like everyone was bottled
2: still then. Yeah. They were all bottled. So I read this article and, you know, saw this label and was like, man, you know, this is unbelievable. And I Googled them and emailed their info account and was like, hey, you know, I have an agency in in Canada, you know, man, the design looks unbelievable. You know, would love to chat and lined up a a Skype call with Hanok, who was, you know, who is their founder. And at the time, again, they were a very, very small operation. Mm -hmm. And we kind of hit it off and we're like, you know, let's let's try something out. And so the first beer we imported um, to the LCBO was Nebuchadnezzar in a bottle. Okay. It's a double 99 on rate beer. It is as epic as it gets. It's actually inspired by Pliny, which is funny.
0: Nice.
2: Um, it's a little and, high, right?
0: Is it like nine? Uh, no. Uh, no, it's not. It, it, it comes in 8.5. 8. Eight, 8. Yeah. 8.5. 8. 8. 8. 8. 8. Okay.
2: Yeah. So – You know, we brought it into the LCBO. It came in in a bottle format. Uh, It was imported because we didn't have Brunswick at the time. It came in very expensive. You know, people raced out to buy it. But by the time it hit shelves here, it was probably three months old. And people were like, ah, okay. Like, you know, might not live up to the hype that, that, you know, I kind of thought. But Mm -hmm. super cool bottle. And and it sold out fairly quick. But, you know, the online reviews weren't – through the roof. So, the first time we brewed it here in Toronto was a pretty special day for us to be able to drink, you know, fresh Neb the way we remembered it, um, you know, here. So, anyway, so Omnipollo was first, you know, all started with that Skype call. And then uh, Mickler kind of was like, hey, because it's such a tight knit community there, Mickler was like, you know, I hear you're doing some pretty cool stuff with Omnipollo, you know, we should chat. So we started chatting, and we do a bit with them. And then Lurvig was the same. You know, Omnipoyo said to them, like, "Hey, if you're ever looking at Canada, here's the guys you need to chat with." Uh, then, ironically, they had a Canadian brewer uh, that we really hit it off with. We really, really liked the guy, and he's he's one of the sharpest brewers we've ever met. Um, and it kind of just you know we're in this mode now where we're kind of getting those kind of calls or those introductions fairly frequently. Ooh. I guess the only challenge is, is in Ontario, you know, we are somewhat limited to if we don't get a listing at the LCBO, um, it's tough to take it to scale. Right. Um, we can sell, you know, 20 heck batches through our our online store pretty quickly, but you know, unless you really get an LCBO listing in in this province, it's really tough to ramp up, you know, big volume. So you know, we're working on a couple things and, and you know, we've got a lot of buy-in from the LCBO and a good relationship with them to introduce a few more breweries to the, to the stable. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, how it's kind of snowballing now. Omnipoil really is our, is our knight in shining armor. They're, they're continuously ranked kind of a top 50 brewer on earth. They got as high as six um, and they open up a lot of doors for us um, and give us a lot of street cred. And And I think because of the quality of the beer that we're making for them, you know, they vouch for us, you know,
0: pretty steady. That's amazing. So do you lead to say for a, a new brewery was wanting to, to come out and work with you guys and, and come out here, do you typically lead with brewing locally or is it sort of like you can still import their, you know, farmhouse and stouts and sours and stuff but then brew the hay, the hops and stuff locally or how does that typically work in those discussions? I mean, we, we, we still import a bunch of stuff like
1: Flying dog, we had Gonzo in this past uh, year. It's coming in again this winter. Uh, Yeti out of Great Divide. Um, yes. So you know, it, it, it depends. It depends on the comfort of the brewery, right? Like you know, uh, you know, you got a couple of buckets, and 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 obviously importing is still an op- option. Um, and depending on the formats, like the, the usually where where it goes is like, all right, this is where we'll start. And then when we talk about label compliance, packaging compliance, trade compliance, shipping compliance, all this, it all of a sudden becomes, all right, well, this is a bit of a checklist that mm. we're putting forward. And and once we get through it the first time, then it's easy to do, but it's it's a checklist. Right. Whereas when we have partners, uh, so we're going to be launching Heavy Seas, uh, Tropicannon here. Uh, the, they're out of uh, Maryland, Baltimore, and uh they were originally an import brand for us, and uh, and they got the the PO from the LCBO, and and it was they were hitting a roadblock on the shipping compliance, and they couldn't they couldn't get it past the finish line. So then we were like, all right, well we can pivot, uh, we can we can brew it and market here, and then if we brood it and market here, we can do this this and this. We can do some draft that we wanted. We can. We can do a test batch of something else uh, like their loose cannon. We can do a a handful of other things that we couldn't do if we were importing you for this, for this PO. So we pivoted them as part of that, but we, we still, I mean, it's options. It's, it's, it's whatever the partner feels comfortable with. And uh, we certainly, you know, we put the pros and cons up to, to, to everyone, and then they can make a decision on which, which they feel most comfortable with. Um, Obviously during the pandemic, it's, it's a little bit harder because a lot of the breweries like to send their brewmasters or a head brewer down to be there as part yeah. of the, 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 first, the first brew and just massage it through the system. I mean, uh, the reality is when you've got a guy like Lodwig uh, with his hand on the tiller and, and one of the best brew teams uh, you could ask for. I was uh, just going to say
2: that about Lodwig. Like Lodwig really does you know, cut through a lot of that hesitation. Yeah. Right. We would never pigeonhole a brewery into brewing local if they didn't want to. But when they kind of say, well, not sure how comfortable we would feel giving our recipe to just some brewery. And we say, no problem. You know, head brewers, Ludwig Sfinkels was, you know, brewmaster at La Trap for 14 years. They're like, oh, and I'd have access to be able to chat with him and pick
0: his brand. And it's like, yeah, of course you would. You know, so that generally cuts through a bit of that clutter. Interesting. So you've got a few little aces, like you said. You've got the three of these brands we've been talking about tonight a lot, which already are a co-sign enough if, you know, based on their uh, worldwide reputation. If they trust you, then it's like, okay. And then you've got Ludwig holding it down, the guy brewing some of the finest Trappist ales in the world. And its I imagine that's probably one of the hardest things to do. And when you're a master brewer, there's European cats. Like, there are a whole other, like situation yeah. Oh something. yeah, they, they, they are. We I, I got to interview Rudy who was the master brewer at Rodenbach. And I know Jack shit about oh, wow, wow. Belgian beers. I know fucking nothing. And I didn't even like Flanders Red. And we went to this brunch they like sent us to this media thing where we were basically there was a one or two other people that were beer media and the rest were like the Montreal Gazette and like just food writers and stuff. So they did this fan this was like probably two years ago. And they did this fancy ass like brunch or lunch thing at this like French restaurant downtown where they paired the three Rodenbach beers that they were bringing in. I guess it's the classic, the Grand Cru and the, one of the vintages. And they paired it with these French foods. And I, they happened to seat me next to Rudy, which was pretty convenient. And um, I already had a podcast uh, set up with him later that evening. But we sat down. He would never tried the beers uh, p- paired with the food. and He lost his mind. So he was super happy. And I was like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. And talking to him, I was like, "Oh wow, this is like another level. Like it's kind of like all the things that you guys were talking about, and the the experiences that we've mostly shared. You guys obviously got the European stuff, which I've never tackled as a beer nerd yet. But talking to him in detail, I'm like, my God, there is this. It's a whole other (laughs) bless you. It's a whole other uh, level of of dedication to the craft and what they have to do to make these things. It's it's so fascinating, like." It's not even to discredit any North American or Western sort of brewers when she's talking to these European dudes, like you said, this Ludwig's eighth generation, which is even just even comprehending that is mind blowing. And then this dude, yeah. Rudy, like this brewery is 200 years old. Uh, Rotobuck's 200 years old and he's like the eighth master brewer or something like that as well. some Something like that. And he'd Crazy. been doing it for 20 something years and you live on the property and and just hearing those stories i felt like i don't know if I, I hope i did it justice to even ask them the right questions like you know i probably came from a different you
2: really feel when you're chatting with those cats your ears just perk up quite a bit more and you're listening so much more intently because you're yeah. like yeah, th- these guys are just on a different level uh, yeah it's Completely. it is great you know i mean that that european you know just tradition of of the occupation is 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 unbelievable and and it we will get sense. there. I mean,
1: you know, we 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 are. Even though you have some old school beer name families out here uh, in North America, uh, we will get to multi generational brewmasters at some point. But it just it doesn't have the same clout. It doesn't have the same kind of as a profession. It doesn't have the same kind of like I'm a brewmaster is like basically like being a surgeon, right? Like. You know you're you're up you're up on a baller status in, in Europe. Europe. Yeah. And, and here it's like I'm a brewmaster at a craft brewery. It's like okay, so you failed out of university and <laughs> and your ho- your hobby you managed to turn into a job. Like uh, right. you know it just doesn't it, it it doesn't have the same same club. But we'll get there. I mean there, there's super interesting things happening here across like whether it's beer cider. Uh, every uh, wine, uh, spirits, like there's a lot of really interesting things happening and a lot of like momentum building, even though, uh, you know, we, we aren't, we aren't like Europe. The, the, the good thing, the good thing is, is Europe's monkey on their back was, you know, the multi-generations that they had is a lot of people were like, my goal is to make the most stupendous Pilsner in the world. I have a finite goal. Like my goal is to uphold the family tradition of making the best lager, the best pilsner, the best whatever. Uh, So innovation, that's where Europeans have been learning from North Americans, but then also they've been developing their own innovation. But, you know, breaking through that ceiling of uh, the Ryan Heitzkobot, breaking through that ceiling of, you know, if if you want to make it as a brewery, you have to sell a bunch of lager because lagers 85% of the beer sold in the world. And, and you're in the lager central, like, you know, they, they have an uphill battle, even though they have the pedigree, they, they have an uphill battle of breaking through and doing interesting shit. Uh, whereas North America is, you know, the opposite. Everyone's doing interesting shit. And now you see some of them trying to do lagers or doing pilsners or getting into lagers on the craft craft brewery side of things to, to try to find a, a little bit more depth and breadth to their portfolio so that they do have every drinking occasion possible. So I'm not just like, you know, a couple of, uh, hoppy beers with the boys. Now I've got crispy boys that
2: I can have while I'm watching the hockey game from my favorite brewery too. Yeah. And you know what? And and on that note, I mean, you know, we thoroughly enjoyed your chat with Matt Tweedy, you know, and, and, and and tooth and nails obviously doing, you know, uh, some phenomenal things. But, you know, in that really interesting hybrid that's happening now of Europe and North America, I mean, they are... They're an epitome of that. They're doing just such interesting and great um, loggers and pilsners. But that chat, you know, I, I have to say, kind of made my ears perk up. I mean, he's a, he's a great guy to listen to. He, he knows his shit. He's making great beers. And that's such an interesting hybrid of just... I'm not just making you know, New England IPAs, you know, I want to really experiment, you know, with our style of Pilsner and how it works. And, that, you know, that's a really exciting, I think, kind of slice of the pie right now in craft beer of, you know, the innovation on the old world styles The people that do it right is, is yeah. super cool. Like, like Bim at Godspeed.
1: Bim, yeah. I, I mean, great, exactly. great example. you know, great he, example. he is really cranking some very, very interesting <laughs> styles and ranges of lagers uh it's it's absolutely it's fascinating because you know obviously my pedigree of coming from steam Whistle, you know we made one we did one thing really really well we made up pilsner right and 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 that was like the the training wheels of the craft beer renaissance that was happening in ontario in the late 90s early 2000s of like you know, craft breweries weren't just guys with leather elbows on their tweed jackets drinking English bitters and, and things like that, you know, that were made locally or dark ales or or whatever. You know, a, a pilsner could be made, a lager could be made. And then, and then you saw this huge explosion, obviously tenfold explosion of breweries over the last 20 years, uh, doing a multitude of different things. And now you see U.S., Canada, this rediscovery of classic styles uh, and, and loggers and pilsners and like refining back down to, Hey, it doesn't have to blow your mind. It doesn't have to break the sound barrier with IBUs. It could just be something you want to crush yeah. because uh, you, you, I'm sure you've seen, you you read these articles out of, out of the uh, interviewing 15 brewmasters of the U S what's your guilty pleasure. And all 15 are like some, uh adjunct lager, right? Every time so clearly, c- clearly there they're there you know, even a craft beer nerd wants to have a nice, dry, crushable lager uh out there. Adjunct, yes. W- 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 whatever. Like, I mean adjuncts don't mean anything anymore. Like the you, you look at what people are adding into craft beers, there's more <laughs> adjuncts going into craft beers than the big guys at uh, the macro breweries ever thought would be an adjunct in a beer, right? Like thanks to um, Omnipolo. Yeah, exactly. thanks. To, thanks to Omnipolo exactly. and their <laughs> in their, their pastry style. It's like right? you know it's the game. Then, yeah. yeah. It's 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 great it's crazy. But Bim Bim is right. doing like a God's I, I think I think Bim is really discovering some really, really interesting interesting loggers styles of loggers. Yeah, uh, both old school and new reimaginations of it. Uh, and, and he's, and he's, he's such a nice guy. I mean, I mean, we've talked yeah. about this. There's a lot of nice people, but he, he's a great, he's a great person and, and he he's in it for the brewery. right reasons. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh yeah. He really gives a fuck and it's a beautiful thing to see how much he cares. And, and I haven't seen him for a little bit, but my brother literally lives 50 meters from the brewery. So oh, no way. like local. So since I used to be in Toronto like once a month, but now we're not as much. We're just shipping beers between each other. Just uh I'll get him some stuff from here. He's our, one of our photographers, so I'll send him some stuff and vice versa. He knows he's he's a good mates with Craig as well. And um I uh I got him to get me the the, the two they did recently, the Sklepnik, the one with the, yep. the the stainless version and the wood version. Like that should have been some of the most incredible things I've ever had period that I can think of because he, all these brewers, Bim, but even dudes out here in Quebec in the last maybe two years, there's been this like pilgrimage to the Czech Republic and they go out there and they'll go to Pilsner Urquell and they'll lose their fucking minds and they'll see the caves and they'll be like, Oh shit. And now like Bim is importing Czech floor malted barley and fresh SARS hops and collaborating with the goddamn Czech uh, embassy and stuff. And they're sending them out there. They're translating the cans into Czech so they've got half the can is actually in most there's barely any English even on it. Like and their their stuff is is just it's and it's not just in Ontario, not just BIM, like dudes like Silo out here are doing it and Ildegaard and a few other people are doing some incredible crispies from this new renaissance. So it's almost like kind of what you what you're just saying there, that like Europe are being are uh, taking notes from us, you know, like Lerbeg on the Boy, McAll and and stuff like that. I didn't know it was Mickler, I thought it was McKellar. Yeah. Um, but they are taking the notes from them and they're, you know, putting ice cream and all this crazy shit in the beer and then North America and so forth are taking notes from Europe now. And now we're all, you know, it's almost like there's this natural universal balance to beer is kind of happening from the, the crazy to the plain, simple, pure, glorious lager, which is now is my favorite. I'm, usually, I'm a haze boy heavily, but I would take a lager for yeah. anything. If I had a choice, I'd be like give me a lager any day. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. One hundred percent.
1: Like a log, a, lo- a logger is the uh, the 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 tool you can use for every occasion, right? Like you know, uh, it uh, it pairs so nicely with food. It pairs so nicely with by itself. It pairs so nicely with every occasion, and and you know, there's a very practical reason why the craft craft beer scene was all ales is ales take two weeks to make and lagers take four weeks to make, right? Like three weeks to make, like, you know, there there, there is economies that are behind the drive of which, which yeast or where do you want to anchor your brewery in? Well, uh, capacity is usually the issue uh, for a lot of breweries and you automatically by brewing ales get extra capacity at your, at your facility. So, Clearly, as a craft brewer who, who is living hand to mouth, there is finances at play there that are going to make ales the predominant, predominant style. Also, ales, ales have a lot more, you can do a lot more with it. You know, the range of sure. lagers is, isn't as wide as is the ale field. And, you know, it, it, it's obviously technically more finicky. I was going to say difficult, but making beer can be difficult. It's an art. Uh but but lagers are they are they are harder to make because impurities or deficiencies in beer rear their head and, and in a in an ale it could be complementary to the the flavors in a lager it could be a drain pour. Um and you know uh it, it's great to see a lot of breweries doing lagers now and, and uh and finding those occasions and being able to build their base and, and provide opportunities for their customers and consumers to have more beer from them for m- more occasions. Like when I cut the lawn, I- I'm, not, I'm not taking down a pastry stout and God bless the pollo. Then
2: you're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, the pastry stout just isn't going to scratch that hitch, man. No, but it's, it's, it's uh,
0: generally not. I was even thinking about it recently. If you think about like when you, whenever I talk to brewers, right? You're like, what do brewers want to drink? It's the exact lawnmower and analogy where they work their ass off. They're carrying these heavy ass malt bags and doing this sweaty work all day long. What, what do you want to drink? You want to drink a nice, dry, crispy lager. So because they're the people who make the beer, that's what they want to drink. I feel like they drove the lager revolution. Like they just kept doing it. And then maybe they traveled and then got obsessed. And when they got obsessed, they talk about it more. So it's on their social media more. And then they're producing better quality ones. And then the craft beer nerds start trying it because they're sexy, because they do a slow pour that takes seven minutes to pour this fucking thing. And the, the head is <laughs> over like meringues. And then we're like, oh, wow, that gives them the same like flashbacks to pastry stouts when you put a little waffle cone and some other crazy shit in this glass. So I feel like it's the same type of visual and, and kind of like attraction for the beer nerds but the brewers wanted it so bad like how do we get these these guys to like this shit and then they and you're you're 100 right i mean i'm probably off on some of it but i feel like the the brewers definitely drove it and i I, I also think
1: some brewery owners got pissed off going to the staff fridge and opening up and finding a bunch of like adjunct loggers in there for the brew team to crush on a uh, after shift right like you know it's a very real thing of like uh, you can drink a bunch of crazy beers all day long, but sometimes, especially if you love beer, you just want to drink a beer, right? Like you just Be want to have beer. beer you know? <laughs> and uh, and and so uh, I think there was probably brewery owners being like, every time I go out there, someone's got a six pack of some, you know, whatever, some nondescript lager and, and everyone's waiting to end their
0: shift and crush that. And it's like, yeah. Like this. let's make yeah. it the blonde ales weren't cutting yeah. it a lot of breweries were doing blondes or some whack-ass shit like that it's like well you know you got to invest the time and, and i feel like people more and more breweries are feeling that it's worth it or i've seen a lot of breweries invest in those horizontal tanks now just for lagering so it's not attacking their ale production like you said you can do a ale in two weeks you can do this bad boy and like you were saying three or four from what i've heard it can be even six yeah. to eight weeks which is it's too much are we on to the next beer boys I feel like we've been its – we're coming on two hours and yeah. we're only on three. We're, we've been yapping a lot. It's been a, a great chat. So yeah, we, yeah. No, we can <laughs> we can get into the next one. Is this is the next one. Uh, what, do you have
2: the Bianca? Yeah.
0: Can me grab that? Do we ship you any Bianca? Yeah, I got Bianca. Yeah, I got that shit. The Mango Lassie? Yeah, man. That's, that's a fantastic. Thing. I'm going to go to the bathroom whilst I'm doing it, but I can hear you from there. So I'm going to fetch it and we'll come back in like 30 seconds. you want to talk to us about that beer? Because this one – is one of the most yeah. fascinating uh, beers I think that you guys do. I um, I used to eat a lot of Indian in Australia a lot as well, a lot of in, big Indian population. So mango lassi is one of my favorite beverages. So when I first tried this, I lost my shit. This beer is like crazy, <coughs> similar to the real thing, but it's got booze in it. Can you like talk talk to that a little bit while I grab that? I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll get the other can, Well, uh, the re- reveal. Oh, yeah. Ooh.
2: Yeah, so the, the, the Omnipoyo Bianca is, is, a, is a kind of line of beers that are taking on a, a real life of their own for Omnipoyo. The Bianca Mangolassi Goza, you know, is kind of the one that really uh, kind of caught fire, uh, you know, and as, as we were talking about, it is very much like a mangolassi. They then have the, which we've done, the Bianca Mango or Maple Blueberry Pancake. They've got a peanut butter and jelly. Uh, they've got a number of different ones. This Mango Bianca Lassi goes is an interesting one for us because the very first batch we ever produced at Brunswick for this beer ended up being Hanoak's favorite beer, um, I think, that you know Omnipoyo had produced. It was incredibly viscous. Um, we did that one with Lacto. Um, it was, it had a mango puree that was just unbelievably thick. Uh, we all loved it. It was very, very thick. It was, it was very, it was impossibly difficult to make. It was impossibly difficult to make <laughs> and to filter and, and to, and to carbonate carbonate. Yeah. The, yeah. But it was, you know, it, it really scratched an itch for Henoke at Omnipoyo. Uh, we all really, really dug it, but it wasn't going to be a sustainable way to make it, you know, at, uh, really, any brewery. So we changed the process a little bit and, and, and found a, a way to make it. I think that was more manageable for the brewery that still checked all the boxes of what we wanted out of it. So you know, I mean, this beer really is. It's very, very mango forward. It's yeah. very tart, um, as you would get from a Goza. not probably as tart as you would think. It's got. Oh, oh uh, you're on
1: the. That's the the maple pancake. Oh,
0: you've got the maple pancake.
1: Do you have the? Do you have the uh, mango lassi?
0: I do. The purple one. Bear with me. Yeah. This one, I mean, you I, I had pancake, this. but I had this. Craig sent this to me last. Man, this blew my mind. I heard you just talk about that. It's, this was insane. It's crazy. Let me grab. I'm pretty sure I have the purple one.
2: Um, so, yeah. So, the Mangalassi Goza, you know, is, you know, again, it's got a bit of tartness to it. You know, fairly drinkable. Obviously, there's a salt balance to it. I think it's a Goza. I think one of the interesting things that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know is, you know, we chat with Omnipoyo about these recipes. We fall in love with beers and we get recipes from them. And the recipes come in and the brew team at Brunswick looks at them and, and inevitably they they all say, you know, the numbers have to be wrong because the amount of fruit that's going in this is, is pretty batshit crazy. <laughs> you know, we had one fruit sour that we did with them that was about 900 kilograms of malt. And about 880 kilograms of of fruit puree. And so the one hallmark of all of Omnipollo's fruited sours uh, and fruited beers is they are wildly fruit heavy. Um, And it's the thing that people that love them, love about them. Uh, It's the thing that, you know, brewers probably can't stand about them because they're difficult to work with. But they are, you know, when you get fruit from these, you're getting fucking fruit because there's fruit. A and there's a it. lot of it. And this mango lassi goes, you know, is a is a pretty good example of it um, of the amount of mango that goes in it. Just drums and drums and drums of of mango.
1: You, you probably get you probably get like the Canadian Food uh, Guide. You, it's probably a serving of fruit. Like oh yeah, yeah. You get that fiber. All your servings of fruit
0: like <laughs> for the, the whole day. Of fruit in these beers is like it, r- ridiculous. It. I actually oh, don't have the the mango one. I got two of these. So I'm gonna oh, crack okay. this so one, the, and that's okay because I, yeah, look, I had the, I've had both of them a, a couple of times each. Um, they're yeah, that's both a segue ex- to the imperial stouts anyway, to the pastry stouts. So there you go, you're working right. your way up, kind of uh, perfect. So like this is that, like you said, there's three in this series of Bianca, correct?
2: They got a ton more now. Yeah, they've got, really- got a oh, lot yeah? Of yeah.
0: more of them now, but. Um,
2: yeah, it really is a line that's 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 flying for them. So you've got the maple blueberry
0: pancake. Oh, this is like um, I don't know what they do. Sorry to cut you off there, uh, Mike. I, the yeah pancake and the maple in this beer is one of the craziest things I've ever tasted because I know maple. It's a sugar. It gets fermented out. So if you put maple sugar in it, actual maple syrup, nothing happens. If you put um, ma- maple sap or water in, it's like in there, but it doesn't taste like that. I just literally sipped a little drip on the can and all my entire mouth feels coated in maple. Um, I know people yeah. can sometimes put it in a barrel. or You put maple, cup, like, you know, the staves from a barrel in the fermenter to get that flavor. But what – I was very curious. What on earth do they do, if you know, to get – this is brewed here, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is brewed in Toronto. Yeah. Okay. What do you? This this is some sort of magic. It's honestly some of the most. I mean, look how like you were saying how much fruit. Look at the fruit in that. This is the once again blueberry maple pancake lassi, just like you know you talk about the mango one. What what what's the magic with this? Because this is insane.
2: Yeah. So this one, you know, so the maple blueberry pancake. Um, you know, we had to find a very specific blueberry um, that would really work in this beer, and, and we found this um, kind of field blueberry puree.
0: Okay. maple
2: is a combination of a maple aroma and a boatload of maple syrup. And again, the funny thing about a beer like that, and we've done a number of maple beers with them, is Chris and I just happen to know two guys that have pretty big maple syrup kind of personal production. So they they take it very seriously. They uh, generate a ton of maple syrup, but it's all really for kind of friends and family production. So we hit kind of both these guys up for any omnipollo beer that calls for maple syrup. And we put in a, you know, an insane amount of real maple syrup. And then it also has a maple aroma. I think if you used only one or the other, if you only used real maple syrup, you wouldn't get the maple aroma. No. When you smell it, which wouldn't set the tone for the beer. And then the maple doesn't show up as much. If you only used maple aroma, you would set the tone when you smell it, but then when you drank it, you wouldn't get that kind of viscosity of maple syrup that you expect. The richness, yeah. Mm. So when you look at kind of omnipollo in a number of their different kind of realms, I think where the kind of beautiful mad scientist chemistry comes in is the way that they kind of merge and use a number of different things together to kind of work. Right. The maple blueberry pancake, I mean, the crazy thing about it is – you know, you read the description and you say, I, I I just can't understand how maple blueberry pancakes go with a goza. And you try it and you're like, oh shit, that's a maple blueberry pancake with a bit it- of a tartness of a goza. And it's there and it and it's and it survives and it and it kind of works. And again, you know, their beers, like we've talked about, you know, are definitely not for everybody. Um but man, is it ever a different, interesting, rewarding, savory, you know, experience?
0: It's incredible. It's one of the most interesting, unique beers I think I've ever had. I feel like I've I've gone. I've had a I've had a fair few beers, and this is it's just mind blowing. Like I I love the level of creativity that goes into it. I feel like every when you can taste every ingredient that's listed from the blueberries, yeah. the maple, the um, I feel like whatever they're doing to make you feel like you're eating the pancake. There's like, you know how you have yeah. sometimes you get those like there's a, a great brew here, pub Bruski, and they do like the smoothie salad. they're like the smoothie yeah. sour gods in Quebec. And when they have like a raspberry cheesecake one, and you can taste the Graham cracker and like they actually put cream, like Philadelphia cream cheese in the fermenter and stuff. They've out of their minds. But this yeah. is a very similar thing where like there's so much fruit in it, it's so thick, yet it's you can taste the pancakes. It's just it's genius. I love it so much. I, I could tell. I checked when I checked into it when I had it the first time. The untapped were like you said. It's not for everybody, and I was just like, "What is your problem? Don't you like fun, bro? Like people need to, you know, you got to you got to understand this is what it is. This is instead of making the pancakes, it's liquefied and it's it's got the body. It's interesting
2: because the first time I tried their peanut butter and jelly uh lassi goza. That's we had it old. as a team in Michigan. We bought it and we bought it. And in my head, I was like, "I don't get it," and <laughs> I really don't think I'm going to dig it because right. I just don't get it. My my brain can't comprehend it. <laughs> and I took a sip of it, and again, I shouldn't be surprised because Omnipolio was just very good at this. But when I when I tried it, I was like, "Like, why does that work? Like, why why is that rewarding for me, and why do I enjoy that?" Because in my head, I couldn't compute it. Yeah. And they found a way to just balance it and just make it an interesting drinking experience of a maple or of a you know peanut butter and and jelly goza it It was super Crazy. interesting on paper it should and have- and that's and yeah and and that's the
1: beauty of a guy like Hanoak and their and their and Carlos and their entire brew team is like they come up with these theoretical recipes that when you when they describe them to you, you're like, I don't know that's gonna actually work. Like, I, I get it, I, I understand where you're going going with this, but I don't know that it's actually gonna work. Maybe on paper it works, but how are you gonna make this thing actually work? Mm-hmm. And man, oh man, like, uh, I don't know if we'll get to padramas, but like, yeah, when when we did padramas, padramas was like, well, I'll save the padrama story then, but it it didn't sound like it was gonna work. Right, no. like this sounded like the the craziest thing you will ever do, and no, you can't do that. No. Uh, everyone says it's not going to work, yet it, it works. works. It yeah. works, uh, and and that's the thing with these pastry stouts is like, and, and they aren't for everyone. Uh, they 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 definitely aren't. Uh, certainly, if you're diabetic, they're not for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless not you enough. like a long. Coma, coma-like sleeps after yeah. uh, drinking your beer, like which we all do. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, but yeah. Uh, in context, again, the, the 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 thing about the pastry pastry stouts is pastry stouts drink by themselves are can be very divisive. But if you pair pastry stouts with a dessert or food or anything, like if you do the pairings with them, you are you you taste that beer on such a different level than you could ever appreciate it the food is elevated the beer is elevated and it becomes much more approachable and it's like that with any beer obviously when when you have a food pairing that works like you know find something complimentary or find if, if if a beer is too hoppy pour it in a glass and see what it's like with lower carbonation but still too hoppy. Take a bite of old cheddar and then take a sip of it and see what happens. Like, mm. you know, the pastry stouts fall into that camp of if you pair it with, uh, if you pair it with something sweet, all of a sudden, you know, the chocolate notes could fade away and the coffee notes could just come charging forward. Like the depth and depth of different layers of flavors have different chances to breathe when you have all the compliments hit each other. So... Uh, I mean, that that's where I would say for anyone who finds some of these beers too challenging is like, well, if it's maple syrup, then have some maple syrup pancakes and see what else
0: comes out when you drink it.
1: Would you I'm suggest-
0: not. I'm not – sorry? Pay- would you suggest to pair this one that I'm drinking right now with blueberry pancakes, for example? Like drink the blueberry pancake beer with blueberry pancakes or would it be better to pair it with – I know you're referring to the pastry stouts, but I'm just curious, would you pair this with something different or similar to what the, the, the ingredients of the beer are? I mean,
1: uh, you know, compare, contrast, and cut uh, yeah, uh, on, on your, your, your major ways of, of pairing. Right. Obviously, right. If, if, you, if you did blueberry pancakes, that's low-hanging fruit to, to, to really, you know, compare the two things. Um, when you, when you do that, obviously it's going to balance out. Like when you, when you eat maple pancakes or pancake, blueberry pancakes with maple syrup on them, it's going to cancel out a little bit of what you're going to taste in the beer. So mm-hmm. some of the other things are going to come forward. So some of the Goza aspects are going to step forward and be like, hello, I, I I'm here. Uh, welcome, welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly, you can, you want to be complimentary on those pairings. It could be other things that are sweet and malty or sweet and earthy. Um, but you know, you got to kick the tires and everything. I I, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile. Definitely. A lot of the pastry stouts are share cans, right? Like these are not what we, we've known some people that take them down and like take them down because they love them and they crush them. And, and it's their jam, and, and and there was a
2: YouTube reviewer <laughs> that did. Uh, I, I, you know, he was like his whole bit was, um, he would do like, what do I prefer, this beer or this beer? And he would drink two beers, and you know, he would review them. And this review that he did was omnipollo Poyo which is you know, eleven percent, and Flying Monkey Sparkle Puff, okay, you know, which is you know, whatever, ten percent, ten percent, yeah, triple IPA. And he necked both beers, you know, in a 25-minute review. He did have to take a break. And he had to take a break, which, you know, either he, you know, who knows what he did in that break. But um, it was an aggressive review. You know, a two 10% beers in 25 minutes, one that's a pastry stout, imperial stout, one that's, a, you that's know, a an imperial IPA. Yeah. Man. Sounds dangerous. I can only imagine what that morning looked like. And and they are
1: not necessarily bedfellows to be drinking together, right? Like, you know, you don't necessarily take an Imperial IPA and put it smack dab against something that is like a pastry stout. Those are
3: completely
1: opposite ends of the spectrum as far as flavor profiles are quite contrasting. So it's like, uh, good work, man. Like, Like if you can survive Uh, it, it doesn't sound like. If you can survive, and and he survived it, but man, he, he cranked these beers, and uh, and I couldn't I
0: couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's uh, that's intense. Re- usually, what I would do with the ten percent if, if I'm not splitting it with uh, Tiff, I will have them on a night where I'm probably not going to drink much else. Like maybe you have something earlier on, and then you go and have the ten percent, and you kind of sit with it, and it's fine. Yeah. Recently, I got a little cocky, and I was like, well. I wasn't supposed to. I, I've got really re- like I don't know about you boys, but during COVID, I uh, I used to just kind of drink every night because I got so much stuff to get through, and then I start feeling a little like under the weather. I'm like, I should probably stop now for a few days. Now I used to kind of get sick a lot because I would just push my body too far. So since COVID, I've got four nights of the week that I drink strictly and three that I don't, and I've probably broken it half a dozen times in a year. And one of the times wow. recently. And it's been really good, like mentally, like I, you know, the nights that I I drink, I'm like, I'm good. And I make sure I time the podcast with all that and everything. And uh, on a Wednesday is one of my non-drinking nights. So maybe like three or four weeks ago, I decided like, ah man, I got a bunch to get through. It's like, let me do a 10% beer. And then I got some stuff (laughs) from Richmond. I did like a nice little uh, risque border trade thing with my friend in Vermont. We bought some veil. Yeah, some Trillium and then he sent them over and it made it and I sent him some stuff and it made it and we're like, thank the beer gods. And um, I had like this 10% triple IPA, this Riesling Sauvignon Blanc thing or something like triple IPA from the veil. Vale, and I was like, All right, let me have this other 10% stout afterwards. Uh, Black is Beautiful from Saint Baron. And I was fucked the next, I ruined me for <laughs> a week. So I thought it was okay because if I had one 10% beer, And that's all I have. I barely really feel it that much, like a little bit, but barely touches the sides. But if I've had two, three beers beforehand, then I have 10%. It's it's over. So I had those two in one night spread out four or five hours maybe, and it ruined me for days. So I can only imagine what this gentleman went through in 25 minutes with uh, two of those bad boys. It's like two bottles of wine in 25 minutes, right? It's 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 like, oh, boy. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah you got to be careful. I think that's was, something that uh, we don't always think about. It's a whole other conversation, but it's something, to, you know, like we try to talk about here. It's a bit of balance, I think, is important in craft beer because, you know, people like all of us in the industry, you you guys are, you know, are, are way more susceptible to the to having to do it all the time because if you're going to the brewery and you're checking the beers every uh, regularly, I know you're not physically brewing it, um, but – you might just be around it more. You're at festivals, you're expected to host and show people a good time. So there's always reasons to drink. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I have a similar thing, but I've got more control over because I'm at home and I've got things that I'm required to document and I have to post and blah, blah, blah. So I feel pressure sometimes. I look at beer and I'm like, oh, f- beer feels, it's not in a bad way, but it's work. I look at beer and it's like, oh, yeah. that- oh I got to do this. I got to do, I'm always thinking when I wake up in the morning, like, all right, if it's a drinking day, what do I have to do tonight? All right, I gotta do this. I could probably get four in because that's yeah. what I can drink. And blah blah blah, right? So it's, it's such a it's such a thing that this we is do the each-
1: unromantic side of the beer industry, yeah. right? Like when it's beer good. is a job, like you know, the, there is a certain amount of that. Like it, it can be a grind. Uh, it I, is, and, and you know, you, you get all this free beer, and it's like, oh, great, free beer. Oh, I'd love to have free beer. And it's like, wow, it's not you free. Know, no that's also free a is ever free. golden handcuffs.
0: <laughs> people say it to me all the time, like, "Oh man, you're so lucky." I'm like, "Look, I'm extremely fortunate, but most people wouldn't put in the work that we have to do." Every time you see those beers, it's work because I'm never going to let people down because they're saying, "Like, I own a business. I I, you know, if, if my business, like, I don't have any backup. Like, that's what I do. You guys are." 10x what we are, because we don't have, like we're saying before, the physical uh bricks and mortar that you have to deal with and stuff. All everything that you guys do, there's there's this constant pressure. You've got employees, because you two people can't run a brewery. Like there needs to be a team of people, and you've got literally sometimes millions of dollars of loans and banks and creditors and investors and all these other pressures. It's just not that serious. So I'm always like, well. That be a rep, and I, I also do this. I sit down with people like you. I look you in the eye, or I look you in the camera, and whatever. And you know, I, I'm we're having these conversations. So I'm like, when I look at this can now, I, I think of your faces. Like this is Mike and Chris's shit. Like I, I'm, I gotta do them proud. I gotta make sure I, I promote their shit right. Because that's my job. That's what I signed up for. But a lot of people don't understand, and they just think it's all free beer and blah blah blah. And maybe it's the same with with anyone else in the industry. If you go anywhere, you get taken care of and get free beer. You don't right. Don't have to post about it or anything. But it's still work because you might be analyzing it every time you see it. Like, oh, do you think the market could take this as Ontario need this? Could I get this in the LCBO? Do you think it would sell if I put it on the website? Do you think, but you know, you've got all of these things running through your minds about. Every time you drink something, what, what could that mean? So there's a lot of things that I think people don't really get from, multi, from all the different players in, in the whole spectrum of uh, roles in the industry yeah. of what that means. One of
2: my very first, one of my very first bosses ever and, and, and still a mentor to this day you know, said, hey, in this industry, you know, there's, there's the half where the novelty wears off of free beer and they realize that this is you know, a job and a business. Mm-hmm. and there's the other half where the novelty of free beer never wears off and their lifespan in this industry is very short right <laughs> and and it was really a a good one to be like appreciate you know kind of what you've got and and what this industry is but it still is a business and it's not just free booze all the time and and party time all the time and and it was a really good one you know early on in my early 20s where at the time it was like, holy fuck, like I get, I have my, you know, unlimited disposal of free beer. This is the best thing ever <laughs> to also realize like, you know, yeah, you, you've got to really take this seriously because it is a business and, you yeah. know, it is people's livelihood and it is. When you got to get up the next day and you got to yeah. do work, right? Like it's yeah. it's your job. Like yeah. you, you
1: have
0: to be able to like, you have to be responsible. Very much so. I think people do forget that I've had without getting too deep into it. I've had brand new Instagrammers DM me asking me how I get free beer and trying to figure it out. I'm just sort of like, you are really approaching this wrong, man. Like this is not what it's about. Like, and, and there's a lot of people yeah. who, who try and do that. And they'll, and there's a lot of um, brewery owners who might not be, you know, if you think about it, people uh, own a brewery. Why? Cause they know how to brew beer, not because they know about marketing or, Any of that, like I own a social media, I don't know jack about accounting and stuff. I'm always a mess with that type of thing. So there's people who get taken advantage of because people will hit them up asking for beer and they think, oh, well, this guy's got 143 followers. I should probably give him some stuff and (laughs) then they'll do it. And then they'll take the picture of a beer on their stove with their iPhone 4 type of thing and and, and (laughs) end up being shitty content, no real review. The photo's terrible. And then you've gone and spent this money and send this person beer. Then they think, ah, sending beer to people sucks. I'm not doing that anymore. And then they get burnt because they don't get it. And there's this whole cycle. And it it bothers me as a business owner that people are are falling for that and that people continue. There's a lot of, I think it's slowed down a bit lately. This was probably a year or two ago maybe, but I still see the types as an archetype of thing. And I think there's definitely a misunderstanding of what that is, whether it's from the you know, content creator side or whether it's from the actual, whether you're a sales rep or someone working in you know, behind a uh, tap room or something at a brewery, you know, it's, it's, there's definitely a uh, just a misconception of what it's all about. And we definitely yeah. have to be aware of what we're putting in our bodies because as much as this stuff is fucking glorious and it's magic and it's amazing that it even exists, we do have to, you know, it can have <laughs> detrimental effects if we don't balance it out and, even if it's yeah, just yeah. on the old uh, the old gut here, you know, like trying to keep we're all a little more sedentary than usual, sitting on our fat asses on couches and stuff, and drinking and whatever, whatever, and trying now, you know, we don't have the the travel that we used to have and that mobility to you know keep it off. And there's so many, there's a lot of challenges I think people don't really get about beer. It's part of well, the- one of my you know one of my favorite
2: examples on you know all of that is you know Mickler and the Mickler Run Club. Right. So if yes. you look at Mickel, who started Mickler, you know, he he's you know, he's been an avid runner his entire life, competitive runner for a good chunk of his life. You know, kind of said running will be a part of my life until, you know, I I can't do it. And I like to go for a run and I like to have a beer. I like to balance the physical activity with the beer. And so he started the Mickler Run Club, you know, as a hey, you know, first Saturday of every month. Um let's get together, go for a run, have a beer in one of my pubs. off we go. You know, that little kind of concept has grown to the largest run club on earth Jesus. with countries all over the world having bars that say, hey, meet at our bar, go for a five k run, 10 k run, 20 k run, whatever. and when you come back, you know, there's a beer for you. And it's not just
1: Mickler beers, right? No. like it's yeah the, the, the run club is like just an be active
2: appreciate beer, but be active and and run. And so I've heard a number of interviews where he talks about that. And it was just like, Hey, look, I started it because I, I like to run and I like to drink a beer after. And I thought other people might like to as well. Again, it's grown into the largest run club on earth under that whole pretense of, you can't just sit home and drink beers all the time. Just like, you know, you know, living a life of just, you know, running and drinking water probably isn't great either. So Let's kind of bring them together and, and be responsible about it. And it's, and it's such a great program, you know, that we've kind of gotten involved with quite a bit in Toronto of, of really helping to get going. And, is, and we've made it, you know, Dan Grant has made it in, in an incredible chapter and an incredible, you know, kind of thing. And we've contributed to it. But it's amazing. Like first Saturday every month, like even if you've never run before, come on out and walk it if you have to. There's a beer at the end of it, but but it get active and break yeah. a sweat and 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 kind of balance that kind of side of the world that that's really needed to be balanced right now. Well, I, and and like Mike and I do
1: Dry January every year as part of a proof that we can still do it. Uh, Stephen Beaumont prescribes to more of what you're talking about of like pick more days a week. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it sure a month is great. But why don't, you, why don't you do it, you know, the aggregate of if you do it every week and, and you pare down one day off or three days or, or however many days off a week, the aggregate is bigger than taking a month off yes, in, exactly. the, in, the long, in the long run of like total, total days. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we can't be in this industry and not say that one, there's a problem for folks in the industry, uh, 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 whether it's bars and restaurants or, or, or beer reps or owners or whatever, but, uh, but two, just, you know, yeah, healthy lifestyle, right? You know, the, the, there is a misconception of the beer gut and the beer gut has been pervasive over the, over the years. And the beer gut isn't just because beer is caloric heavy, it's because, people who drink a lot of beer are also eating a lot of wings and not doing anything. Yes. And in that idea of beer is a healthy beverage, like we, we partnered up and, and we represent rally, which is a functional beer, electrolyte laden beer to promote recovery and, and rehydration. And, you know, that idea of beer can be a healthy component and a healthy part of your like, a, yeah. a, a life. Life and a, and a healthy life, you know, beer has been people's part of people's lives for centuries, it arguably the the oldest alcoholic beverage in the world. And, you know, if it wasn't to boast too much, save people from the bubonic plague, right? Like drinking small beers, the kids drank small beers and adults drank beer and they didn't get the bubonic plague because the water had been boiled. Like, you know, beer is a life giver but it also can be abused and, and, you know, us as owners in a company and, and, and purveyors of beer, you know, it is a lifestyle thing and, and you have to be responsible for that and, and promoting all the healthy aspects of it or healthy consumption of it. You, you have to have that as part of your, a part of your everyday.
0: Yeah. You're so right, man. Even I noticed, uh, like over the years as the Podcast got more serious and the, the, the beers were flowing more. I, I was putting on more weight. And during COVID, it was uh, a little more. And since I think October, I lost like 20 pounds from. Wow. Well, I was already doing the strict four nights a week drinking as you know, four on, three off, but I just stopped eating chips and stopped. Having ice yeah. cream and sweets, you know, I went from like I'm a big fan. we during the afternoon. we have a coffee with some cookies and shit. And I would usually have four cookies, five cookies. Now I went down to one. So you don't completely deprive yourself, but just yeah. one. And that one cooking, cutting down these small things and then eating a little smarter, it just changed everything. I'm still mildly fluctuating a little bit because I've been a little cheeky since I kind of, oh, 20 pounds, not bad. Like, I still got a bit more to go that I <laughs> want to get to. And then there's an Australian like pie shop near me here, and they've got all the fucking Aussie chocolates that I miss, and I start keep buying them, and like that's a problem. But you know, I'm managing it, I feel like just it's, it's, as long as it was, as soon as it became conscious, and I was, you know, we bought it at one of those scales that has an app, like a smart scale. So every day it tells you the I don't know if I believe it all, like the BMI and your skeletal muscle mass and all this bullshit, but at the very least, it's more accurate. Weight and it, and it documents it. You can see how it's going and stuff. And just to be very aware of it and be conscious because I don't yeah. want to be. I never wanted to be that dude who let myself go. I've always tried to do that, and I feel like that. You know, that's something a lot of probably people in the beer industry in every single facet could probably you know take, uh, think about it. The very least you don't have to do anything, of course. But you know, we want everyone to be well and to continue to enjoy the yeah. beer, and that. Requires some balance, and like that run club is just such a fantastic idea. I'm certainly for you yeah. with that. I think it's such a great idea to have. Yeah, that. I
2: subscribe to the whole philosophy of just break a sweat, regardless of what that is for you. If it's a walker on the block, you know, for Chris, it's rock climbing. For me, it's cycling. Like whatever that is, Figure just break out. a sweat. Let some sweat be drip down your face, and once you know you do, you know you've you it works. Uh, and if you can just do that, you're you're good. Yep. Yeah, earn your reward, right? Like earn your beer. You know the hashtag. Uh, yeah.
1: Sometimes the reward is you, you had a bad, a tough day at work, and the reward is the beer, and 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 that's justified for sure. But you should still earn it, like you still. And pandemic is is a problem because you know we are all more sitting there. You're not even walking from your desk to the <laughs> boardroom for no. a meeting. You're just sitting at your desk for the Constantly. next meeting. Like, Day. You know, you don't even have that extra fifty steps in your life <laughs> that you would have had. Like, right? you know, seriously, uh, it, it is uh, it is uh, it, it's a challenge for everyone, yeah, um, and, and not just beer drinkers,
0: people, no. full yeah. stop. Hundred percent, it's it's really true. It's just something that we always try and promote, and let's like get try to get people thinking about. It. With our blogger Nathan has, has written some pieces on that, and it did pretty well. It's either early this year or late last year about it. And it's just – I don't think it's talked about enough. So I definitely think it's something that – it's great that you guys are, you know, both consciously active and and promoting the Run Club and all that type of stuff. I realized that I basically ignored a bunch of comments for this whole episode because we were just chatting and I kind of didn't want to fuck up the vibe. (laughs) So I don't know if everybody is still here. I'm just going to read a couple out that are – that aren't timely. Cause some of them are responses to direct things that we were saying earlier, just sure, to back, yeah. back up. Uh, my friend Daniel from Vancouver was here. Shasta, Dan, Bruce, Morris, Bruce, if you're still here, uh, he said, do I need to stop in Michigan on my way back home? He's a Canadian who lives in Dallas. And he just told me the other day, they're moving back to Canada. Um, him and his wife and they're the loveliest people we met them through BOS they're just wonderful supporters so yes Bruce you do need to stop in Michigan and please yes, the boys are telling you I will tell you everywhere you need to go just shoot me a message and I'll make sure you go past there and maybe you know pick some stuff up and I'll come see you Um, what else are we saying he said the Mickela Brew Pub in London is partially owned by Rick Astley Rick Astley yeah which is pretty funny you can get Rick rolled while you have a beer yeah. Let <laughs> me call this episode of Rick Road. Um, he said, <laughs> you guys were saying pounder. He's like, pounder, what a great Canadian term. Um, and he did have, have a question. So there's some actually questions for you guys. So I did fuck up by not paying attention. I was just listening. We were just having a great chat. He said, what is your favorite brewery or beer that you've had in the past year? And it could in be Canadian, year. American, whatever.
2: Yeah, let's stretch that out to the past kind of three years because of COVID. But that—that's a that's great a question. <laughs> yeah, super You guys have been stuff.
0: everywhere. Like, I felt like we've usually been pretty well traveled, but you guys have us beat. I love it. It's, it's I'm going to
2: say so. The the answer I'm going to give for the brewery is the brewery that surprised me the most that I that I ended up just loving was and we talked about it earlier. You know, on a Virginia trip is uh, Licking Hole Creek. And we yeah. don't import Licking Hole Creek. They're it's in Ontario. Paper. We don't yeah. import yeah. them. Okay. Um, different agency. Um, but I was I was there on a trade mission uh, and showed up. And it's a it's a farm brewery. That the scenery is spectacular. They got a disc golf course on site. They got ATV tours. They got you know all this stuff. It is it is a real farm brewery. And the, the quality of the stuff they're putting out of there is mind blowing really. and I think the reason I didn't jump on it when I was there to try to get them to Ontario was, Ontario uh, US craft beers struggle in, in Ontario for the most part, that's a bit of a blanket statement, there's ones that work and there's ones that sell but as a blanket statement US craft beers struggle in Ontario hmm. and I didn't know if they would have the legs to kind of win in, in Ontario. And their beers are unbelievable. They're working here. But that brewery was so fucking cool. Like awesome. so, so cool that that I would very highly recommend anybody driving through Virginia to seek it out and go. It and it's female-owned too, right? Like it's like actually right yeah.
0: by um, – I forgot her name, but she's like a well-known – Lisa. Woman. Lisa. Lisa? Yeah. yeah well-known. Lisa. We had a, We had
2: an unbelievable night with her <laughs> actually
0: in Toronto with Garrett Oliver from
2: Brooklyn. Nice. Uh that ended up just being kind of a round table discussion that made it to a few different bars in Toronto and, and a very late night departure. And uh uh it, it was great. That was total serendipitous outside of the brewery story, but their brewery is 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 pretty wild. It's great. Yeah, that was that was a wild night. Like it
1: was uh Lisa from uh the founder uh obviously of Licking Hole and then Garrett Oliver brooklyn carlos 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 from onipoyo uh after a brewer's brewers journal uh event we were all holding court uh at at the uh amsterdam uh brew Brew pub or brew house down on the lake uh the 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 big one and uh, and uh, it it was like you know it turned into just a fanboy i I mean (laughs) us as fanboys but we were all rolling together rolling in rolling out moving to have some cocktails here and there it was you know again how awesome is their life uh i would say for my favorite brewery and, and uh uh you know i've had i've had a lot of great beers i i had a experimental beer out of the guys at great lakes a couple of weeks ago and i can't remember the name of it uh it was one of their experimental batches and it was it was Absolutely amazing! Like that, the blend of hops in it was was unbelievable. It was from their, which was formerly the Tank Ten series, like their experimental side. It's, but if I had to say, if I had to say, in the last year, my my uh, my favorite beer, I, I would say uh, Granite's Best Bitter. And I would say that because it's consistently always been an amazing, old school bitter, best bitter style. Beer, but it made me, it made me feel like I was on a patio. It made me feel like I was having a pub experience. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the past year, uh, well, in beer across the board, anytime it, it is like experiential and 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 feeling where you are and and what you're doing and all these things. And 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 their best bitter took me to a place that I loved. Longed for and and wanted, and and you know, they do real ales, they do cast condition stuff, uh, and it was taking me to sitting at their place, having a pint, and I, I longed for that, right? I, I longed to have that pint. Mike and I sitting there, friends, everyone sitting there having a beer, and uh, and that one that one took me there, so that experience of drinking that gave me that projection that I was looking for of getting me to a place in time that I felt like it was a normal pint of beer in a patio. And, and uh, you know, not a new beer, not a new brewery, uh, but man, meant a lot uh, when you're looking at the last year of
2: drinking beer. Hell yeah, man. For any of your Vancouver listeners, you know, Superflux has opened their, their new spot yeah. – you know, in Vancouver and, uh, the beers. They're pump. Yeah. The beers they're pumping out, you know, pre, you know, facility and post facility, uh, Attica- man, they are just crushing it. Like you guys are with putting, are, you know what we, yeah, kind of loosely. Yes. I think, it, I, I think it will blossom into something bigger. Um, we love their team. Yes. We've had a couple of really good sessions with their team. I think we're fully aligned on, you know, this feels good. Let's work together. Um, we have brought in some of their beers and sold them through our online store. We want to do more together. I think we just got a lot of respect for each other and, and, you know, they're running at full tilt they probably don't have a ton of capacity to be shipping beer to Ontario.
0: Mm. Um, you know, we got a lot going on, but man, we, we love those cats their beers are exceptional when you guys did the uh event i think it was color a and shape yeah 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 and and there was a color and shape and uh, i think um pretty much yeah and gigantic. pretty much yeah which i love it because of the uh aussie pretty much yeah it was great the just uh that you guys were doing with them because daniel who was commenting earlier is a good friend i've been trading with him for years and we had four wins on recently so he introduced me to them and twin sales and Superflux flux and Boombox and all that crazy shit. In fact, BC Beer is just out of control. When I, I know that they have, I don't know. I don't know if you guys met Jake, Jake Clark. She had a, she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Jake, yeah. She um, was working pretty heavy bringing stuff out that way, bringing Bellwood's and Blood Brothers and fucking Dunham and all the fire yeah. out there. And I'm like, who's doing this shit out here? Like, we don't get anything. It's not fair. Like, and then when I saw you guys were bringing out, because I'd had those beers before because of Daniel sending them to me, and I was. Don't and I know that you didn't brew them out here, that you were just sort of you know uh, distributing as such. I was hoping that would blossom into something because I really think that one thing that's missing, um, at least out here, is that there's not as much focus on us getting the West, like they want all the stuff out there. And I know that you know, between Ontario and Quebec, arguably the two you know best markets in the country. I think so in beer anyway Yeah, Yeah. like the BC market is just wild and I'm always grateful to get my hands on anything from out there so I'd love to see some sort of situation where they're able to because I know Twin Cells I was talking to Cody the brewer there and he would say they were trying to figure something out with the LCBO where they could distribute but it wouldn't have been any of their hops it would have been like a farmhouse or stout or something that they could they have to go through the LCBO 12 week you know, aging program type of thing. Um, the crazy thing is, is, you know,
2: <laughs> the, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, historically on sales data, you know, Ontario drinkers uh, aren't buying a ton of BC. Really? Like when you look at, you know, the beers that, you know, get imported from BC to Ontario, all the beers that we love and respect and, and are crushing it um when they get imported from BC to Ontario in the LCBO they just don't perform that well hmm. um you know when we kind of had the Superflux feature it sold out in 2 days which really highlighted for us holy Is shit people really love Superflux here and there's something okay, but it's when you look at all of the sales and we have experience you know with a few different breweries you know from BC when you look at all the sales in the LCBO of BC breweries they really struggle And, you know, we hope that, you know, breweries like Superflux and Four Winds, you know, are the ones that cut through because they're making just such incredible beers. Absolutely. but there is this weird barrier that, you know, once they get imported and thrown on an LCBO shelf, they just, they just don't work. And so maybe we just continue to sell through the bodega and we never go the other route. But man, like that scene out there is, is phenomenal. Yeah, and,
1: and I and I will I I'll, I'll add yeah, hundred percent.
2: Like BC
1: BC beers on shelf at LCBO have had a hard time, and it doesn't matter whether you're the central cities of the world or or, or or wherever. Like I mean, you can have great reputation, great beers, and and find a hard time on shelf at the LCBO. And there's a ton of reasons for that. Uh, there's a, it's a challenging challenging atmosphere to innovate in when you're, when you're coming from outside of Ontario to innovate in real time, it can be a real challenge because you're innovating a year later and a dollar short uh, by the time you go through the process. But uh, there's some, there's some changes happening in the consignment program at the LCBO uh, with the movement from their specialty services warehouse downtown to a third party uh, in Brampton and, there is going to be some opportunity to 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 really where previously it was a it was more of a challenge to do some private order yeah. stuff.
3: Yeah. There is
1: a, a a very 2021 opportunity of seeing importing of specialty beers, interesting beers, uh, getting to market uh, on one-off basis. 20 cases of this, 30 cases, 40 cases of that like th- there is an opportunity there, as you mentioned with the the times it's 12 12 week program right by the time it gets here and gets through lab and it gets through this and gets through that
3: exactly. you know
1: uh, uh, you know the the best years of its life, best weeks of its life are are spent someplace, someplace in, in in Durham. At a warehouse, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, uh, hopefully that can be expedited. Hopefully, mm. this change in the consignment program and the specialty services of private order will make it so that it's faster, easier. All, all things point to yes uh, on on making this a smoother, faster, easier process for for folks. And 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 obviously, hats off to the wine agents of the world who have helped facilitate this because the wine the wine world is far more developed in this consignment in private order side than the beer world is, but we get to ride in the coattails of, of, of that because the process is the process and it's the same, whether it's wine or beer or whatever, it's the same process. But, you know, I think 2021 has some opportunity to bring in some of those specialty beers, one-offs, maybe not your everyday favorites because they, they just won't travel well, but, uh, you know, stuff that is certainly special there, there there is opportunity. And then, you know, in Ontario here, we, we have bars and restaurants are now legally allowed to sell off sales and, and retail beer, wine spirits, um, to, to take home, uh, which has been made permanent, uh, here now. And so that, that is, uh, for this consignment side of the business. A big kick in the door. Hey, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a revenue. It, it, it is a new retail revenue stream that's opened up uh, that is very interesting. Yeah. Very
0: interesting. I love that. That's um, that's what that's what I want to hear. Just these archaic laws from literally 100 years ago blocking something as simple as alcohol when now there's a weed. Someone said to me the other day, I forgot who it was, maybe it was Craig. He was like, there's a weed shop on every corner in Ontario. Over here, it's not like that because we have the specialty beer stores, but y'all can't have your own independent beer store over there. But there's independent marijuana stores everywhere, dispensaries and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like everything's so backwards and just makes no sense. I'm like, guys, listen, you know stop. Hind- I thought really COVID should have spoken to the lawmakers and the decision makers in a way that like, Look at what these archaic laws are doing. Like, you know, Ontario can like you exactly what you just said. Like, places like bar hop or restaurants or whatever can now sell. You know, you could sell them cases of these beers, and they could just sell them direct. Other breweries like Dominion City in Ottawa are buying. They have the friends of the Dominion. They're just buying shit from everywhere else and selling them. And, and it's this whole reciprocal yeah. program. Town are doing it. Like blah blah blah. Everything's great. Um, here, we, you know, you guys can get it on Uber Eats and stuff. We don't really have that here. It's like a little bit, but not really. And it's a sort of like, shouldn't it really like tell these lawmakers, like all of these old school things from a hundred plus years ago that we're dealing with, like in a time of crisis and literal worldwide global pandemic, like aren't they as redundant as ever? And shouldn't we just be doing everything? Like we're not, we shouldn't be scared of alcohol anymore when marijuana is now legal. Like It's all just super redundant and it's like becomes political and I can only imagine like I'm frustrated just talking about it and I'm not even directly linked to it. So I can imagine from you guys' perspective, it's just –
2: yeah. Like, Let's pretend for a second that our population can have a beer responsibly and walk in the street <laughs> with it, and go to a park, and and not burn the fucking city down. I mean, let's that, pre- that, pretend that, for a second that that's the reality. That, that's, where, that's where Quebec
1: is really <laughs> on Ontario. Of like, yeah, man.
2: You know, it's not legal
1: to drink in public, but you can have a pint on a sunny day in a park and, and you're probably not going to get hassled no. uh, in Quebec. In, in, in Ontario, you no, probably No, it's legal here.
0: It is legal here if you have food. Oh, it is legal. If you have food. And you know what's funny? I thought food meant chips. So one time when Tiff and I first moved here, this is from Toronto, so I lived in Toronto first. And then we came here and we were just bringing uh, packets of chips, but not even hoping them. We were just leaving them there. And then like a homeless dude one time was like, dude, you can't do that. You got to, you fucking got to open it at least. Like, come on, try. I'm like, Oh, all right. My bad. No and then- way. So I think the chips don't quite cut it. I think you gotta have like a sandwich or something. But usually we'd we'd go to a park in the summer, particularly last year when there was nothing else to do, and we would meet a friend for a distanced thing and, you know, they would bring their drinks and we'd bring ours and you just bring fruit. So you bring like some little charcuterie, you know, those pre made packs where you get a little bit of cheese and some meat and stuff and it's fine. It's it's literally legal. It's fine. It's only if the cops are going to like bust your ass if they don't think that's enough of a meal or whatever the specific rule is. But
1: the definition of meal, what whatever. It you, is. you know, it, 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 for for cities like Toronto and, and Montreal and these uh, in Vancouver, where you know, the cities have people pushed into condos. And, and certainly during the pandemic, you don't have a backyard. You really don't have any outdoor space. No access you to want, you, 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 you want a, people to have a beer in a park. You, you want know? to relax. Like t- To be honest, and, and maybe it's a first world problem, but that right to be able to barbecue, relax, have some grass under your feet and enjoy a beer or wine or whatever. I mean, there's bigger fish to fry in, in, in the crime stopping world than, than – taking down a guy and, and writing him up for open, open liquor in the park. Like, you know, the, the city has created this atmosphere where it really, it really is almost, it should be a right for people to have a responsible beverage. And that means not being drunk in public, in that means city park, yeah. not littering. That means all, all those things that you can't do. But if someone wants to have a pint after work and unwind with their, with their feet in the grass, the sun on their face, in in a beautiful atmosphere and they don't have that because they live in a condo you should be able to have that. Like, I mean, this isn't, this shouldn't be a restricted thing. It should be, you should be able to have it. And again, it's all about, it's, it, the laws are all made around pe- people, people abuse them. And then you have, uh, you know, the exception becomes a rule and, this guy had like ten beers and then caused a, a ruckus. But you know what, though, I mean,
2: a huge eye opener for us in the in the kind of scope of non-alks and low alk beers was our first time going to Sweden. And in Sweden, you're allowed having an open container of alcohol in the street if it's under whatever it is, three percent or three and a half percent. Yeah.
3: Hmm.
2: So that's the alcohol content. And then when you go to the liquor stores and the grocery stores. The selection of beers that are under three or three and a half percent, whatever the number is, was astronomical. IPAs, stouts, black loggers, red fucking ales, and it was like, wow, like this is progressive. Like hmm. you're allowing people Straight to, to economy, yeah. you're allowing people to go to the park with beers. It's pretty tough to get bombed off of a ton of three percent beers, so. That kind of mitigates that. Right. It it really promotes that responsible enjoy the outdoors, throw a frisbee, and have a beer kind of drinking culture. Um, and the selection was great, and the quality was great. It really for us was an eye opener. Of yeah, this kind of makes sense
1: because because Sweden is similar to Ontario, and to be honest, Quebec uh, to a certain degree of it has a a government run monopoly system, but if you were of this like 3% uh, realm of alcohol, then you were open to grocery. So anything that was sub that could be sold at grocery. Anything that was above that was sold at the government stores. Mm. Quebec's different because you have the Depineurs and, and, and even in Ontario here now with our grocery system, you know our grocery stores can sell anything sub 7.1% alcohol. So you've got a full range there. But what it, what Mike's talking about is creating this economy of low-alc beers, responsible beers that have far less restrictions on them. And you can drink them everywhere Anywhere, because yeah. they, it, it, they, they become like the new 0.5% near beer type, mm-hmm. not restricted or not as restricted uh, beverage.
0: Interesting. I just froze. There we go. Changing changing cameras. The, uh, the DSLR died um okay that's that's fascinating. I didn't realize that um, that that's how they do it it's just so it's so much smarter isn't it smart like isn't it when we left there we're like, man, that's
2: clever like you know you're you're mitigating a lot of the social responsibility because again it's a little bit more difficult to get crazy loose on a three percent beer oh, that's um, cool. and yet we're encouraging the, the support of small brewers and and you know, and beers, and and that outdoor engagement, that responsible balance, uh, it it
0: was it was really eye opening, and it was really impressive to be honest. And I heard on that note that the Omnipolio Conks is the highest selling. Was it? no? It's Omnipolio. Is is the high, the highest selling beer? Is that correct? I think it's their fastest growing beer. Fastest growing. Make,
1: uh, Mick, Mickler's Drinking in the Sun is the number one selling non out beer. And that's and the other one was, that
0: you guys sent through, which is the wheat beer or something. Is that correct? Uh, Personal Best,
1: yeah. 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 Which is yeah. a version, a, 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 a new Canadian exclusive version of uh, a recipe that was developed that was similar to Drinking in the Sun but not Drinking in the Sun. Um, mm. It was It was our version of it. Using the same yeast, the near yeast, which is uh, Mikkel had uh, developed this yeast that uh, uh y- there's tons of ways of making non alcoholic beer, uh, yeah, or not tons of ways, but there's a handful of ways obviously, arrested fermentation, de Um, but what they use for Omnipolio and for personal best is uh, a yeast called near that doesn't eat maltose. It only eats dextrose, and so when you're brewing the beer, it, it can't it can't take the malt based sugars and eat them. It, it it can't it can't consume them. Mm. Uh, so then you have to feed the yeast. Uh, so you get a very a, a very traditional way of brewing beer to a certain degree uh, of fermentation profiles and things like that. It has its own fingerprint that that the conks uh, conks and, and personal best with the, the near yeast, they both have this very, uh, the esters from the near yeast in, in the flavor profile ends up imparting a bit of a fingerprint of citrus to it, which is complimentary to, to any of the non out beers conks. We really lean into it personal right. best. It is supporting character. We have more hoppiness in personal best.
3: Okay.
1: Um, but the personal best non alc is is very similar to the drinking in the sun. Uh and, and drinking in the sun in in uh, Denmark is head and shoulders above all the rest of the non-alk beers.
3: Mm.
1: And and they taste like beer. Like they're beer beers. Like they yeah. they, they taste like beer, the experience very beer like. It's not it's not like a, a it doesn't feel like a substitute. It feels like you're drinking a beer and it just so happens you're not drinking a beer with alcohol in it. What yeah. is the goal?
0: Hundred percent. I I used to think that uh non alcoholic beers are pretty shit. I never really liked them, but then I started to understand you have to approach them and this is fizzy hot water. It's not beer. It's very different. And if it happens to have the characteristics of beer, whether it's the haze or like the Kongs has that real strong lemony citrus thing like you you're yeah. talking about. Um and and the mouthfeel is just absurd for that. Yeah. It's just it's Shouldn't possibly have a mouthfeel like that,
1: Um, and and that's the big thing for the non-alk beers. Like the mouthfeel really changes for most of them. Is like they're they're it's non-existent. You you love
0: personal best. Like you'll really enjoy it. I'm excited to try. Yeah, it's solid. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm appreciating it on a new level. And like I was saying, with the four nights on, three nights off, one thing that's kept Tiff and I like comfortable with it or being able to get through it. I don't need it all the time. But if you have a non-alcoholic beer, the act of popping the can, pouring it, and I make sure I'll get one of my beer glasses to pour it into it. So you're almost replicating the experience of drinking. And and it's like, it's almost like a placebo effect. It tricks your brain into being like, yeah, you're having a beer. Look, there's hops in this. Smell this shit. This is tropical. Like everything about this experience is like drinking a beer, but then, yeah. There's no side effects of, of the uh the you know, the drinking and you're giving your body still that break whilst getting a bit of flavor with pretty minimal calories. So it's yeah. like yeah, I, I very much I feel like there's like a big place for those uh type of beverages. And I seem it seems like over the last year they've just gone they've risen in popularity. So I think it's super smart that I knew like I've had conks two, three, four times and it's great. So I wasn't aware of the Michelin one. So I'm excited to try that. And I like that you guys yeah. are doing that and being, you know it's a it's a it's a really good way to round out that portfolio. You can definitely up yeah, yeah. products that are high quality, that are tasty and shit. Um, did you want to do the last one, or are you guys feeling like super dramas? Yeah, you want to do it? Oh, and a high note. Why padramas. the fuck not? Right? I'm well, not wait, scared. Wait,
1: wait we uh, we we might as well, and and we have a great story to tell. Yes, when we uh, when we talk about Padramas because Padramus is uh, very, very near and dear to our hearts, and uh, you know, obviously, Omnipoyo was a partner of ours before Padramus was born. Right. But Padramus was one of the first beers we ever brewed at uh, at, at Brunswick, Brunswick, full stop. Okay. And it was the first Omnipoyo beer ever brewed at Brunswick, and uh, and Hanoak himself. Dreamt up the recipe while he was on the plane coming to uh, brew at Brunswick and visit us.
3: Uh, so he was. There. So
1: it it had never been done before, Oof. and, and Padramas has never been done anywhere else. Padramas is a, like. our, ours, essentially. You know, it is oh, Ontario's Ontario's omnipollo
0: omnipollo exclusive. Beer.
1: No shit. Yeah.
0: Can you? I'm going to go grab it. Can you keep talking about maybe some of the ingredients of what the beer is, a little bit more about it? Because this is like a very, this is one of the first, I would say, I had this, when did it come out? Two years ago? Maybe? No, oh, uh, more than that now. More than about that? Three. Maybe no, ago. more. three, maybe four. four. Four years ago, probably the first batch, yeah. Okay, I think I had it around that time pretty early. Uh, one of my good friends is Shahan De Silva, who owns Lost Craft, and he brews out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Shahan used to get me. He gave me my first Zodiac and um, and the Prodromus. So, he was always telling me about you guys and what's going on. So, I think he was the first plug that I had to Brunswick and, and to what you guys were doing. So, when he gave this one to me, I was like, what on earth is this? And I believe it was probably my first pastry stout that I wow. am Like, true pastry stout with… all of these graham crackers and all this crazy shit. So you don't want to maybe like talk about that because that is actually probably, if you think about it, quite significant in the scheme of Ontario craft beer as far as like you guys might've actually brought in what was to be and, and, and made it locally. Uh, the first local international pastry stout that, that the province had seen.
2: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Keep going. Yeah. You know, for us, it, it was a crazy one because we'd started this relationship with Omnipollo. We knew they were this globally renowned, credited brewery. And we wanted to produce a stout, you know, in Ontario. And when and H- Hinoak sent through the recipe, you know, it's safe to say that the whole brewing team at Brunswick looked at it <laughs> and were like, like what the fuck is this like what are we supposed to do with this it has graham crackers and cookie dough and caramel and coffee and chocolate chunks and just vanilla insane. and 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 just everything like nobody had ever seen on our team and and keep in mind that our team is is a very experienced team that has done a ton of different beers nobody had ever seen a recipe like this Uh, Chris and I, who had been in the industry at the time for 15 years, had never seen a recipe like this. And kind of like a band asks for their rider, you know, Hanok asked for a couple of things that he wanted on site for brew day. And one of them was a certain type of uh, cookie dough. Yeah, there it is. Look at that. Okay. Um, He wanted a charcoal grill uh, with a pot. Well, um, I, I think I think we we inserted the charcoal grill side. You wanted a we, way to cook cookie dough. We needed to cook the cookie
1: dough. Oof. And so we started improvising a little bit uh, on the interpretation of how do you cook cookie dough.
2: Yeah. So Hanook comes to Brunswick and you know. We have everything ready for him. We have this cookie dough. We have a charcoal grill on the front lawn that we've fashioned up with, with a Dutch with, oven with, a Dutch with oven ol-
1: on top. hot oil in it
2: to deep fry this with cookie dough. Oil, yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. And so Hanok's in the in the kitchen at Brunswick making this cookie dough, and then he's bringing it out to the front lawn and he's dropping it in this Dutch <laughs> oven to deep fry the cookie dough. And again, the brewers are looking at him going like like what is this guy doing? <laughs> and he's pulling the cookie dough out of the Dutch oven after it's cooked. He's putting it on this like cookie sheet and coming in and dumping it right into the kettle. Insane. Absolutely insane. Dumping so all crazy. this deep-fried cookie dough straight, straight into straight the into kettle. the mat. Right? Like it, it was it I was. I had never insane. seen at the time, I had never seen that much coffee going into a brew. I had never seen that much real caramel going into a brew. Um, it really was batshit crazy. Chris and I very quickly looked at each other and said, you know, we'll never make a nickel on this beer because the <laughs> ingredients are it cost insane. But it was kind of a little bit of a let's just see what this guy can do. And, you it's know, so
0: intense. I love,
2: love it. it or hate it, I don't know if anybody's ever tried it and hasn't been like, Wow. And again, either wow, that's not for me, I hate it, or wow, that's that's really crazy. But it has so much going on in it. it it's it's to date, you know, I'm I'm now twenty some odd years in the industry. Uh, I still have never come across anything so unique, um, so challenging to brew. Yeah. Um, oh, and think. so rewarding in my life. Like I've never been a part of a, of a beer more complex than this one in my life. And it's a great one to go back to. I really, truly haven't had one in probably six months. This is probably a little too cold for how it should be enjoyed, but as it warms up, you'll get more of the vanilla, yeah. more of the caramel, more of the chocolate. Um, but it, it really is killer, man. It's a killer,
1: killer beer. It it was crazy. Like I remember, we we when 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 we were uh, firing Brunswick up, we had the LCBO category by, the beer category by to just see what we were doing and to understand the concept of what are you trying to do here? Like what what is this? Like uh, you know, obviously uh, s- some import beers have been brewed by the big guys over the years hither and yon, but concept was. Was a bit new and a, a bit off yeah. to the left field, yeah. and uh, this and this was the beer we presented to them of you, you know Padramas coming out designs specially for the Ontario market and, and exclusive to them and uh, and you know the LCBO folks are outstanding people anyways like they the beer categories really great people and and they were just like this is awesome like just so awesome to be able to innovate create this in market for them, they, uh, they got it right. Like it, it, was, a, it was a pivot. It was a pivot for them, uh, on, uh, on how they interpreted import beer versus domestic beer. And, you know, is omnipollo a domestic beer or not because it's brewed in Ontario. It's by Ontario people employing Ontario people, but it's an international brand. But, uh, the, the Padramas was, uh, was the beer we we pulled on top and and uh, and we all
2: had like just this epiphany of in how, hindsight how it's, it's it was. such a big beer for us yeah you know in hindsight it it was really a big beer for
0: us mm. uh, on a number of levels it's um that's actually fantastic to hear a bit more about it because I didn't realize the importance of this thing and that, and even drinking it now in my twenty twenty one knowledge of pastry stouts and craft beer it's not It's still intense, when in the same way I would sip any pastry stout for the first time. You're like, "Oh, fuck! There's so much going on." But like, I remember when I first had this, I was like, "What is even happening here?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, this all makes sense. This doesn't not 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 blow my mind." But I'm like, "This is normal now," which means that this beer very, very arguably paved the way for what has to come over the last, particularly over the last maybe 12 to 18 months. Right. In both Ontario and Quebec, I mean, a certain brewery bar Canada, out here have been doing pastries for a while at a very very high level, and a bunch of people are now doing them. And I feel like Ontario are a little behind Quebec with pastry styles, which is strange because typically Quebec was always. But, a,
1: but, but Quebec is 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 really like high high ABV beers are a hallmark of Quebec breweries. Like definitely, Quebec has always been into the the the, the higher ABV, more complex beers. Than Ontario, anyways, a more Belgian European style of of like historically, beard. yes,
0: for yeah. sure. and then they kind of just stepped up. Over, the, I was like the number one. Uh, what's the word to say it nicely? I was shitting on Quebec for the longest time. I've lived here for eight. Twenty twelve, <laughs> I was in Toronto for two years, and here for since then. And I was just like Quebec was, was cool. You're right; they did barrel stouts and farmhouse and all this stuff really well. But I'm like, where's the rest of it? Like I had to, I was in Toronto, all our clients were there. So I was in Toronto once a month for years. And Tiff, my girlfriend's from there. My brother lives in Toronto, so I was always there. Um, And that, and and I was always bringing beer back. So I was never drinking Quebec beer. And I know the last few years, I started getting more and more into it here. And I would say since mid-2019, Quebec has really been dominating. and They've stepped their game up. And basically any style, you name it, they nail it now yeah and it was historically it wasn't the fact but you need lagers smoothie sours they started no one did it before anyone in quebec did like quebec started it in canada um pastry stuff they're probably some of i don't know if i've had anything necessarily that much better than what's happening here um the haze now is nationally as good as anywhere else if not better so it's it's good quebec has has done well i'm very proud of them that they've stepped up and done that but being that they were so far behind on the trends so it's good you for know. them to sort of catch up, but it's like it's cool because it's nice. There's there's a few different things. Ontario does these things, and Quebec does these things. And now with the closure of the border for such a long period of time, essentially a year now, uh, when you know we are 45 minutes drive direct from the border, probably two hours all the way into to Burlington. Like I was saying earlier, um, people I know people here who literally went to they were at every. Foam and every Burlington Beer Co. launch. I'm like, how the fuck are you at every event? And these people were going every weekend. They were leaving from Montreal to go there every weekend. So now I feel like, and well, I think this is an interesting opportunity for people in, in, in Canada that at the very least between these two provinces, because we're right next to each other, both with some of like the two arguably most exceptional craft beer scenes in the country, uh, provincially, now everyone, well, my gosh, like, really, I can't just cross the border. There's a lot of risks involved in attempting to thwart customs and ship beer. But now I'm looking at, if I'm in Montreal, I'm looking at Ontario. I'm like, what's going on there? What are you guys doing? What can I get from there? And then Ontario is the same because everyone wants something new and different. Obviously, you guys are providing that in-house, being that you're bringing stuff from Europe and BC and elsewhere. So you are a one-stop shop anyway. But I feel like it's just definitely like a, a, a way that, People are looking now at each other in a way before they maybe been looking south and now they're looking east and west
2: to to, uh, to see it's you know? great. It's funny we have a we have an LCBO in Hawkesbury which is right on the Quebec border. I, I go there uh, to take my stuff back
0: to take all that empty. Yeah, <laughs> like, takes them.
2: <laughs> they're crushing it for us. They're taking every Omnipoyo skew we can give They had
0: everything, bro. Every time. Yeah. They, they, Tiffany's cousin is from England. He's 23 years old. He's a kid. He lives in this building with us. He works for us. He works for our agency. We're schooling him. He didn't know much about beer. I'm fucking teaching him about beer. So every time we come in, I'm like, get your trolley, bro. You, what do you guys call it? A, a buggy or a cart. I'm like, come on. Let's fucking go. And I'm going through. Every time, I'm like, you had Aura there last time. Yeah. I like. He's getting all the stuff that you guys have because he's picking it out from the shelf because what's this? I'm like, you need that. Put that in there. Get to it. <laughs> because and you're right. Like I never thought about that. Hawksbury stocks everything. That's like one of yeah. my favorite thing. You go to the beer store, drop the shit back, get you fifty dollars for all the cans and stuff, and then come back around and swing to the LCBO because Tiff wants to get the VQA on you know Ontario wine that we can't really have access to here because that's you know let's be real, Quebec wine doesn't even touch the surface on, on Prince right. County or uh, Niagara wine. Uh, It's cool, but it's not the same thing. And then the beer selection is crazy. I'm really happy to hear you say that because I always wondered why they had so many. And because I haven't been to the LCBO like I used to be, I don't recall the volume of craft brand products that are in there. So every time we've gone by there, I've always made sure, like, make sure you get that, get that, get that, get that. and Because your stuff is just always in there. So are they stocking it because we, the Quebec side, want it? yeah. 100%, Hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. Hey,
2: Steph who runs Steph who runs our inside sales, you know, kind of said to Chris and I the one day, like, man, this this kind of small store in Hawkesbury is taking everything <laughs> on the oil and crushing it. And we literally Google mapped it and zoomed it out. We're like, Oh shit, they're right on the border. Like yeah. it must be Quebec people coming over and
0: it's literally the closest And
2: one. so we've been loading them up and They've been so, a great yeah. store for us. Great store.
1: We see that in a few places, it's not just cool. Hotsbury. There's, there's a couple of border town, border town LCBOs that have some folks deacon across and, and doing a little bit of a cheeky, cheeky border run, uh, uh, border hey, run, man. you know, provincial. Border, border border. Uh, hey,
0: man, it, it's it's a thing. We, hey, we genuinely thing, do right? it. And I love it. Hey. I really enjoy going there and, and – Taking a look at it, it's like such a part of like a day. Like we don't own a car because we're like right in the, in the city. So we rent a car for the day. We take our fucking ridiculous amounts of recyclable bags full of bottles and cans and crap. And you take them back and you get your money. And then the next stop is direct to the LCBO. And it's a part of that experience and just being like, Amazing. oh shit, they got this. Like it, Because we were there so often before it wasn't, it was like, know oh, whatever. I didn't even, guys went to breweries. And it wasn't even really – I didn't even go to LCBOs. But now that- –
1: Well, you, you, you know you can you – can, uh, the stuff that's, like, not available there, you can order online and have available – like, have it shipped to that store, too. Like, the Lickbo LCBO. Uh, uh, yeah, the LCBO e-commerce. Like, if you find something that isn't available there,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you, can have, you can buy it and then have it available to pick up there when you go there. Get for. not just beer but anything you you can get you can get uh you can get a little bit uh a little bit of like interesting things that may not be stocked there but have them delivered there and then you can
0: just snag them when you come across that's amazing that's actually a- yo i'm gonna tell the missus about that because that's crazy i imagine that's like With beer, you can. Everything seemed a little. I was trying, I was always trying to figure it out because obviously, if you went to Kingston, there'd be a whole bunch of local stuff that they didn't have. And you went to Hawkesbury and they've got different stuff, but the regional ones, I guess. I mean, but I never really thought that you could do that because that's crazy, even for like. Maybe the wine selection isn't fire at one store, but if you know what you like and they don't have it, you can just order it. Just all have time.
2: it ordered in, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it might take up to two weeks depending on location, but give yourself a buffer of a week to two weeks and you place go. an order and get it delivered to your store. Free shipping and, and yeah, it's beautiful. You, you,
1: you pay for you pay for in an advance and then if you get it delivered to the store. There's Pick no shipping fee. Uh, so that's if you're you're going. Yeah, you can, you can get anything, anything the LCBO has, pretty much anything the LCBO has in their entire worldwide portfolio, you Damn. can have shipped to that store and waiting for you.
0: I mean, you that's, in. that's a plug, man. I'm glad you guys mentioned that because I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who didn't know that. Maybe I know we have a growing Quebec audience now. Most of our audience wasn't always in Ontario and now we're, you know, Kind of catching up out here. So for any Quebec people listening, that's amazing. You know, you jump in the whip, you just hit up Hawkesbury, hit up Cornwall. Maybe there's some stuff like Ottawa Gatineau kind of region. But that's but that's really cool. I, I really like hearing that your a lot of your sales are in that store because that means that we we can't get this stuff. This is exciting shit, man. Like the stuff that you guys are bringing out is genuinely exciting. And in a time where you know maybe people weren't. As focused on that, and they were dipping over to Vermont because it's easier, or upstate New York, or something like that. Now, I, I hope that people have been in the last year, been going over more, and being like, "Yo, this like this omnipolar stuff, on the the Mikula, the fucking Lurvy, all that stuff, among others." You guys are obviously that's not that's not the extent of the uh, portfolio, obviously.
2: There's yeah. a lot more than that. Yeah, and in theory, you can now get these products, you know, fresh. You know, I mean, Zodiac, we can, you know, every two weeks to kind of 16, 17 days. So the nice thing about Zodiac is um, it is always fresh everywhere. You know, and if it's not, we want to hear about it. But that beer is always fresh everywhere. And everything else that we kind of do... You know, again, now that we can brew it, you know, kind of locally and we can try to kind of can it and and plan our production times that, yeah, people could, anything that's listed in the LCBO, people can go order, get it to their local store, uh, and, and have it fairly fresh and representative of, of the recipe. So it's pretty exciting. It it is. And, you know, the LCBO has been, again, it's a government monopoly. It's, it's a, it, it can be a tough one to work with at times, but, you know, they're great. They really give us access to every corner of this province at the same price and to your province now, you know, give access to, you know, border cities and border towns and border stores uh, and give great, great products fresh.
0: It makes me so happy. I love that shit. That is, that is incredibly cool. And I think that's what craft bean needs genuinely right now is that kind of excitement and that, Whilst, you know, I know Canada federally made it legal to ship between provinces or whatever, but the problem is is that interprovincial tax agreements with every single thing, so that's why it hasn't really gone any further. So the next best thing is being able to, you know, zip even from Montreal, it's, it's I think it's about an hour tops, a little bit less to get to Hawkesbury, maybe forty five minutes, fifty minutes or something. It's not bad at all to just zip in, take your empties back, get a few fucking pennies for that and Go spend them bad boys on some goddamn pro drivers. Yeah, yeah, no. like, yeah. <laughs>
1: leave leave your dollars in Ontario, right? <laughs> right. Cash your cans in and
0: leave your <laughs> Cash uh, it. Leave the money there. Yeah, it,
1: it, it's a beautiful. It is. It is. It is interesting. I mean, one day we'd love to obviously list products and have products in Quebec, and and, and yeah. It, yeah, it's high. It, it's on our it list. Up. Obviously, eat it up. Um, yeah. It, with with such a big population and everything, but man, it's a whole it's, thing. It, it's a whole thing. It's 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 a challenge. It's any man. agents or distributors
0: listening, please yeah. reach out. Yeah, I know of some. <laughs> can go back. Yeah, you? yeah, I know of some. I I'll, can talk to you about it after. There's there's a bunch that have pros and cons, but there's some that can get you in, in the in the building and stuff. Definitely, and I know there's you know benches out here now. Trailway from New Brunswick is out here. Um two crows from Halifax. There's a few different ones that have gone through some companies to, to get out here. Bose started it, started it really. They were the well, first yeah. ones. And then it kind of sort of went from there. Because otherwise it's been like a monoculture here, for better or worse. You know, yeah. They you know, people here really appreciate that. But I think as the craft beer scene has as um evolved and got a little bit more nuanced mm. and complex and people's palettes have changed and stuff, they they're looking for something different and and what you guys offer is completely off the rails to anything that anybody could drink well anything.
1: and and uh, and a lot of the beers we offer obviously when we're looking at the omnipollo stuff and the Mickler stuff um, they are not there's no strings attached to this is an Ontario beer quote unquote no obviously you know it, it, it isn't a, it's tied to an Ontario brewery per se sure it's brewed in Ontario. But this is an international brewery, European brewery. Like there, there, there's a little bit less baggage to it than than say, hey, here's an Ontario brewery to come in,
3: yeah. and,
1: um, or mow our Quebec breweries. Lawn, um, it's a it's a bit it's a it's a tiny bit different.
0: Definitely. I, th- I think there's that's not even the concern as much as it used to be because that's really what you write. That's exactly what it used to be. People were like, well, we don't want to eat into our local sales and here is very much about local and, and stuff like that. But I think it's changed a bit now being that there's so many breweries from outside Quebec here. And I think the, the mentality has kind of changed and there's a few companies that, that work with it, like Transbrew, really, who are owned by Glutenberg in the Glutenberg Group. Um, yeah, they're one of the main ones that a lot of people come through, and they uh, you know, they seem to do pretty well. People be people seem fairly happy. They bench in Niagara went through them, and that's how Bose got in because they store the stuff in there. I'm not sure what the process is, I don't know if you have to go through the three month nonsense three month uh, is ah, three month? 12 weeks. It's it 12 is three month, yeah. It's, yeah,
1: it's 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 a ridiculous embargo period that they have on product. Oh, Basically. it's obscene,
0: it's obscene.
1: Making sure that every beer that comes in from outside is old code. Is dead. Uh, is dead by the yeah, time it comes through. And, the show. and tasting, tasting like shit by the time it comes through. But uh, I'm not sure if yeah. that
0: applies to the – there might be a way around that now. But anyway, I can, I once we wrap up, I can uh, talk to you guys a bit more about that. I got a couple of – I still haven't – didn't even get through all the comments. There's a few more. Uh, Tiff was saying earlier the hospitality at O'Connor was incredible. Uh, she said mm. she was so uncultured. She realized today that it was Omnipolio and not polo, which of course double L. So it's so that. Uh, Jeremy was saying, "What are we? What are they drinking? Is that Bianca? That is correct. It was Bianca." Steve is saying, "Being a part of CBC Co virtual tasting last May, Steve from SO Beer Boys here. Oh yeah, I know Steve. Uh, what are the chances an organized trip to the church in Sweden happens in 2022
2: or 2023? I I I, I mean." 2022 is pretty good hey, but
1: it's not a bad question of like do we do we put out a little 20 person well, junket yeah. and, and do a little tour uh a, a little dip your toe into the life of the dream that is uh of being a, b- a beer person you know and and take people over there yeah uh 2022 would be the earliest we would do it because you know the church, the church uh, well uh you know uh, I'm sure vaccinations are going to be a thing, but the church is just finally mission their brew house, uh, their major brew house from Brauton. And, and so they are like just getting up and running. And so to go there and see things in full Technicolor is probably a 2022 thing
3: mm. more
1: than a 2021, but practically,
2: you know, traveling is. Yeah. it will be a great trip. Like, you know, it's uh it sounds amazing. They got Omnipolo's Hat in in Stockholm, which is their kind of pizza oven tap room concept.
3: Nice. They have
2: omnipolo flora, which is their kind of park concept that only pours beers that are soured with wild yeast inoculated in the park, which okay. is really awesome. Um, and then they got the church. So yeah, that would be a killer trip. That
1: but I think I think trip. I I mean, you know, maybe we can toss it in the comments below, but like the Michelin celebration of beer or Michelin beer celebration, uh, coupled with a, a, a trip to, uh, Stockholm. I mean, that would be a good package. If, if, if we were to ever put a package together of like, Hey, you want to see what it's like to be Mike and Chris? Uh, that would be the package of like, if we were to ever put something together to like come along drag along, A bunch of uh, folks sponsored by Advil. Yes, sponsored by (laughs) Advil. Oh, you're gonna need water. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
3: water.
1: Electrolyte water. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You 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 definitely if you're going over there, it's it's an easy one to do. It's an easy one to do. Half an hour
2: flight, you know, Stockholm to Copenhagen. Half an hour flight. It's it's a beauty. And again,
1: the the beer celebration is such a Bucket list. If you love beer, like if you if you love beer and and don't You'll even see have to every be highest a nerd. rated
2: brewery you can ever imagine in one building. Everything's the same time.
1: If you want to drink Pliny, if you want to drink Zombie Dust, if you want to drink basically anything that is ultra rare, it's all there on tap. And when you buy your ticket, you have access to all of it. There's no other tickets. There's no like. How many tickets is this? Like, do I is it three tickets, two tickets? It's like you walked in the door and you have a glass, and they fill your glass. You can drink whatever you want. It's 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 absolutely amazing, and and for 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 a beer fan, it is bucket as good as it gets. Oh,
0: better, yeah. I'm convinced as fuck. Steve is uh, still going. He says, Superflux was unreal. It sure was. He said, the bottle shop in Ontario is such a major step forward. I can't tell you how many people I know are messaging saying, did you try this or that? Because they've been buying from a local restaurant. It's a really, really uh, great point. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he also says, Zodiac is fire and need to give the wires 12-month lead time. <laughs> Fair enough, man. I respect that. Yes, the uh, the bottle shop in Ontario, the whole situation is just glorious. I even had uh, – I was on, on the phone with a brewery out here recently who knew one of the – like a, a famous bar in Toronto called Cold Tea and they shut down yeah, yeah. opening another store. So he knew them and he was trying to – they were trying to bring the stuff out. He was just asking me about like marketing stuff, how to get people to be aware of this Quebec brewery out there because he, he was excited because – it's something that we don't have here. Like restaurants can't just really open up uh, their doors and just sell alcohol from the from the front door. So like, it's very interesting. I almost wish like Ontario and Quebec could just combine because it's almost like some laws are awesome on each side yeah. and some laws are shit. And just can't we just combine all the great ones and just make
1: them? Well, the that, same? that that, that off sales off sales licensing is not unique to Ontario. I mean, BC's been doing it for years. Decades. That is uh, true. Almost. Long like, before, all this you know, uh, Ontario. Ontario is just taking and repurposing some of the the cream of the crop of like, hey, this really helps, or at least it, it opens an opportunity up. You know, it, it, it's a challenge for bars and restaurants to to make money off of it because you know, selling beer that is available at the beer store, the LCBO, or grocery store, and selling it for a markup price to make sure you can make some money on it, you know, the convenience factor on that means you're probably got a a fairly thin margin Mm -hmm. on, on your markup of it. But uh, that being said, uh, it is a tremendous opportunity. And and for, especially when we're talking about wines and private order stuff, special, special order stuff, there is a real future in turning bars and restaurants into a retail segment yeah, a legitimate retail segment of very cool stuff.
0: It seems like it'd be a missed opportunity if they didn't at this point. Really, based yeah. on sort of you know the learnings that we took from this time, and it's like, well, people are used to it, so why would you stop allowing that? Yeah, a question that yeah. I was thinking. I know there's something else that we're not really drinking specifically tonight, but Craig told me about it mostly is the darling mimosa that you guys are doing now, which is the mm-hmm. essentially the the, the mimosa in a can, like champagne and uh, orange juice in a can. So I was going to ask, are you guys getting more into the, you know, would you ever bring out wine or spirits or because, you know, technically you're an agency, but you also have the access to the making it locally. Would you, are you dabbling in that? Or seltzers, obviously the RTD stuff with regard to um this Darling product, which looks fucking amazing and it's genius. I've never seen a, a canned mimosa before. And maybe they have existed, but I've never seen one. And I'm like, why hasn't this happened like 20 years ago? Um, where Where are you guys with with that market? I think candidly, you know,
2: we we found our niche pretty early on on specialty beers mm-hmm. and kind of wrote it out. We brought in New Holland's bourbon, uh, which did okay for us And the LCBO. Dude, was great. very expensive. <laughs> the LCBO asked for more of it. Yeah. actually. It was very expensive, you know. It was a great product. Um, I think we've always wanted to spread our wings. We just haven't really, maybe, known exactly how. You know, when the when the RTD kind of seltzer craze happened of vodka sodas. You know, we didn't feel we wanted to get into that because the competition was so fierce. White Claw was spending insane amounts of money. That one didn't feel right to us. And then we came across the darling guys, Ontario wine, real orange juice in a can. Um, There's two different types of mimosa drinkers there's the mimosa drinker that likes, you know, a lot of orange juice and a bit of wine. And then there's the mimosa drinker that likes almost all wine with a splash of orange juice to make it acceptable. And Chris and I both fell in that, you know, wine category. And so when these guys came along, you know, we chatted with them. We really liked them. We'd known them for a while. They were great. And then we tried the product. And the first thing I said was, oh, shit, this is how I like a mimosa. It's all wine with a little bit of orange juice for color. And and Kim from Darling was like, yeah, that's how I like a mimosa. And that's why we made it that way. And it kind of was like, okay, this feels good. Like it's Ontario, it's local, it's, it's the way we kind of enjoy that beverage. Brandings. There's nothing like it in market. So, you know, yep. let's look at it. So that one was a no-brainer for us to say, okay, let's spread our wings a little bit from beer with a product that we really enjoy. You know, Rally is another example. Like Rally, um, we really had our eye on the functional beer space in the U S in North America, in Europe. And these guys came along, they're young, they're energetic. They want to take the world by storm. I love to cycle. I'm in that world. And, and so it just felt right. It felt right. like the right product for us at the right time to kind of branch out. So yeah, I think we've been open for the last eight years to branching out. We've only ever branched out where, it just felt good. Okay. New Holland's bourbon, um, a tequila that we imported. Yeah, it's, we've really only branched out where it just felt like the right thing to do versus, wow, the world is saying go this way, go find one.
0: Mm. I like that. That's more authentic, right? Like, it's Well, our, whole, our the- whole
2: team has to sell it. So we've only ever made decisions by committee. Uh, it's bit us in the ass a couple times, but you know, we put products out to our whole team and say, drink it blind first. You know, we give you a sample without seeing the branding at all. What do you think of the product? And if people say, wow, it all tastes like shit. That kind of stops that scenario right there. If everybody says, wow, that tastes great. Then we show the can or the, or the bottle and we say, okay, now what do you think? Oh, wow. Like that looks cool. That's really funky. Yeah. That's great. Could you sell it? And so we've made decisions in our entire company's history in that form. And when our whole sales team says, wow, I loved the taste of it. Now I see the can or the bottle. It looks great. I love it. Yeah, I'd like to go sell that. We say, okay, Mm -hmm. great. Let's go sell it. Um, And again, there's been products that Chris and I have been very excited about that we've put in front of the team that they've said, yeah, no, I don't think we can sell that and we Mm -hmm. don't like it and we've, we've bailed on it. Um, and those times sting, but at the same time, you're, you're, you, everybody's got to be stoked about what they're doing day in and day out. Um, it's the only way you can really move the needle in this province uh, and Mm -hmm. in this space is by really loving kind of
0: what you're getting behind. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's competitive. It's like congested to a degree So if you know the team isn't uh, on board to really like go balls to the wall, then it's kind of hard. And it it must suck because I'm thinking of it more from your perspective as a fellow business owner. I'm sort of like, well, if my team didn't want to do it, I'm like, well, I want to fucking do it. It's my business. But there is, you know, you do have to consider that you know the people are going to success.
1: Yeah, like success of the brand and market relies on your team. Loving it and being able to sell it and, and being able to bring the story to life, bring the product to life. And if they can't do it or they don't believe in it, uh, it doesn't matter how much Mike likes it, I like it. It, it doesn't matter. That, that means nothing. Yeah. Uh, it means a, a, a fail uh, at the end of the day. And so, you know, we try to, as much as possible, take our team everywhere. Uh, you know, drink the Kool-Aid, visit the brewery, visit visit wherever we're going and, and go see what it's like, like, so they can experience it too. So it's not just Mike and I saying, man, you got to see this place. It's awesome. Uh, we try to take people there so that they can see it. And you know, it's, it's part of the dream. It's part of all the collective dream of, you know, why do they work for us? They work for us because hopefully we're great people to work for, but more importantly, we have great brands that they love to represent brands with great stories, and they get to hang out and
2: visit them and see cool stuff. And, you know, the selfish two-sided side of it is, you know, there was a big brewery in Michigan that really wanted to work with us. We wanted to work with them. Um, We wanted to make it happen, and we said, look, like, the only way we can make this decision is to bring our whole team down to your facility, have a tour, drink the beers, eat the food. And then we're going to poll them and say, what do you think? And so that brewery loved that approach and said, hey, we haven't really had many agencies or distributors kind of go that deep. But sure, because we, again, we paid to take everybody down there. They paid for the beers and the food, but we paid to take everybody down. Actually, no, at at, uh, one of the places we paid for. Right. We paid for that, too. (laughs) Um, You know, but we took the whole team down and said, look, like, we're kind of excited about this. But don't let that cloud your judgment. You know, like, tell us what you think. Tell us if you like it. Tell us if the vibe feels right, because you have to sell it. You know, thankfully, everybody at the end of it said, this felt great, and we can get behind it, and we understand it now that we've been through their doors and, and whatnot. But that's a great example where, in our model, where maybe it doesn't work, is we take the whole team down, we're excited about it, and they say, yeah, I, I didn't like the beers, and I didn't, I didn't dig the brewery, and it felt, you know, disingenuous. And and we don't pursue it.
1: And, and of course, and of course, you know, you can take the team down and say, "Tell me what you really think," and then they tell you what they think you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but our our team's not not like that. Like no. we, we are, we're, we 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 breed it. They're ruthlessly honest. <laughs> we we, tr- we we try to make it as open and as honest again because. You know, to a very real extent, if if the rubber is going to hit the road, uh, you know, they are going to be held to metrics of sales, right? Like, you know, if you say, yes, I can sell it and we bring it in and then you can't sell it. Well, you know, the the flip side of it is you said, yes, I can sell it. Let's put some metrics on it of like, what can you sell? Here's what I think you should sell. And then they can't sell it. because, And then they, they can't come back and be like, well, wow, I already said that can't sell it so you know you know there's a practicality to it of like don't don't just tell me yeah it's amazing because mike and chris thinks it's amazing tell me is it amazing we think it's amazing you think it's amazing can you sell it will it sell all those different metrics because at the end of the day we all live and die by how successful it is Mm. uh here in market and 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 mike and i depend on our team being really great at doing their jobs and really great at following through and finding those customers and finding those consumers and, and all that. It doesn't matter really what we think of how sexy a brand is. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. And, uh, and it doesn't amount to anything for us.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I I hope that other businesses are taking that tact as far as, Involving their sales team, maybe in the decision making, I, I my gut feels probably no that it, people are doing that. But you guys are clearly have a lot of trust in your team, and you know in their decision making, and in the fact that you know even if you believe in something like that, that, must be as a fellow business owner. If I'm like nah, nah, this is this is the one, and then everyone's like nah, 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 it's not. I don't know that 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 cognitive dissonance has got to be a little tough to. To rock with but the fact that if you know yeah, really we've
2: like, got a we've got a really great team that we really believe in and and they're all straight shooters right they're all very honest uh they all know what they like and they're all yeah they're all very forthcoming with their feedback right. and again it's not to say that everybody's going to do cartwheels down the street and say 100 percent it's my favorite brand ever but you know, we've been pretty fortunate, I think, in when we give them the kind of bandwidth to say, do you like this or do you not under these pretenses? Um, yeah, they, they make great decisions. And again, it's not always what we want to hear, but when they do say, yeah, we love this, we'll roll with it. We know they're going to really roll with it.
0: But
1: you know, it doesn't have to be what we want to hear, right? Like this, yeah. the, the, uh, Businesses survive and die on the backs of the entire team.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, I can't. I, Mike and I can't will this business to be successful. We can't wish it to be successful. We can't make decisions and make it successful. It, it really is the team, right? Like it, it really is the, the the folks that you employ, the trust that you give, the trust that they give to us of. You know, we're going to help you make the right decisions. You're going to make the right decisions. I mean, you just can't do it alone. It's impossible.
2: But I also think back to the very early days of our business where, and you'll know the example I'm speaking of, but there was a brewery that wanted us to work with them that would have been very lucrative for us. It would have been financially great. And when we sat down with them, and we kind of liked their beers, to be honest. Yeah. But when we sat down with them, it just didn't feel good. They weren't the people we wanted to deal with. The culture mm-hmm. didn't feel good. Uh, you know, it, it, just, it just didn't feel great. But we, it financially, it would have been amazing. You know, and we both walked away and, and told them, you know what, well, we're not going to partner with you just because we're going to go in a different direction. And it's that exact same element of if you don't really believe in it and you can't really put your weight behind it, it's tough to do your best. Mm. Um, and those financial gains can be very, very short term in those scenarios. Whereas our team all love Zodiac. They'll run through a wall for Zodiac, much like we will. And Zodiac is that kind of engine that probably shouldn't have succeeded in this province and really is a beast. It's,
1: it's, it's a super valid point. Like Mm. uh, when people come to Ontario, uh, specifically, but they should be looking at this in any market you go to. It doesn't matter whether it's Ontario or anywhere. But the metric to, of success is not points of distribution; it's rate of sale. Okay. And, and at some point, at some point, you obviously need those points of distribution. At some point, you need to be at 100 stores or 200 stores or 300 stores. But y- you really need to. Prove that you're doing it right. You really need to prove that you understand your consumer, that they are going to come back and buy it time and time again. You're going to generate that rate of sale. You're going to generate that repeat customer. And until you create that that pattern and understand that, yes, what we're bringing to market is resonated. Yes, how we're bringing it to market, people understand. Uh, if you, if someone comes to us as a partner and says, uh, how fast can I get to 300 stores? It's like, Mah. we're not speaking Relax. the same language because, you know, if you want to, if, if your if your sole intent is what, what size is the PO you've ordered and, and how many stores we're in and not focused on how can I make my brand strong in the market? How can I grow my brand responsibly in market? How can I grow a sustainable brand in market? We're not speaking the same language here. Yeah. Like it, it has to be a slow growth. It has to be sustainable growth. It has to be the right growth. It has to be growth built on your brand and your brand's principles and your and your brand's philosophy. And that's how we build a foothold in the market. That's how we build all of the big points of distribution. That's how we grow in this market. And at the end of the day, success on the LCBO's eyes is based on rate of sale. They don't care how many stores you're in. Obviously, you're in one store and selling 10 cases at one store. That's not good. But they want to see that the consumer is there. They want to see high rate of sale. They want to see a healthy rate of sale. And as you grow and expand your footprint on points of distribution, they need to know that that rate of sale stays up that every market you break into every store you break into, you're maintaining that. Mm. And, it, and it takes a long time for partners to understand because a lot of people are, you know, uh, uh stack them high, watch them fly, right? Like put it on every shelf in every store and we'll be successful. It'll and work. And, and, yeah. and it just doesn't work that yeah. way. It, it used to work that way. And in some retail models, it works that way. And some retail atmospheres, it works that way. But in craft beer, it doesn't, it, it mm. really doesn't. You, you need to create pull on shelf. You need to create awareness. You need to do all these other things. It isn't stack them high and watch them fly. Like it, it is thoughtful execution and market. To build sustainable brand awareness, to build sustainable brand pull, and, and that's how you you get that general list. That's how you get a second listing. All of these things it takes. It's a longer burn, but if you're serious about the market and you don't want to just ship, uh, I need you to buy 12 pallets of beer this year. Uh, make sure you buy 12 pallets of beer. Well, man. You can't do that. I, I we don't sell beer that way. I, I'm not interested in selling beer that way. Uh, we're interested in building partnerships, and uh, it, it's got to be a deeper relationship than than that. And they have to be committed to the process.
0: Mm. This is genius. Honestly, hearing you say all this shit, this is blowing my mind. Because in social media, we have clients be like, "All right, how many followers can you get me?" like it's not about followers it's exactly the same. Yeah. it's not about stores it's not about the vanity metrics. it's about the community I would rather have 1,000 followers that really give a shit about me than a hundred thousand followers that are just fake or there that don't really care because that engagement is really what matters. So basically you're saying exactly what we say on our YouTube channel for our uh, social media and to our clients all the time like it's all about that slow sustainable, authentic, organic growth that yeah. you can't rush it. If you rush it, you'll end up really nowhere back to square one because it's not going to work. This 100%. is fascinating to hear this because it's the, the, parallels are disgusting. It's exactly the same conversation. So, and, it, and you can certainly help grow it faster, right? Like there's things you can do to help grow it faster and see it faster and all but that. It's not always healthy, but, no. yeah, but you know, it doesn't, the end the it day, doesn't always, it's always sticky. Like it might work a little bit, but is it going to keep them? It might get them interested temporarily, but is it going to keep them coming back? And that's really what you're talking about is that organic long-term growth. And the challenge is,
2: again, getting back to that conversation, the challenge is, you know, in your industry, there's going to be people that are going to, you know, want to pay you a good amount of dough to do it
0: the wrong way. You we've know, left or, money on We've left so much money, some to the point where we were almost broke and we said no to stuff and
2: 100%. It didn't,
0: didn't feel right. And in hindsight, it was the best thing we ever did. Yeah but, and, and your and
2: reputation matters more than anything and, and your you can't ability to stand behind a brand matters. And yeah, you know, we've been there, man. We've been there in the business where, you know, the business was not flush at all. And companies were coming along looking to throw dough, and it was very attractive to take that dough, and, and we just didn't do it. You but know? It, you know, we're paid on volume,
3: right?
1: right? Like it's cases at the door that we're paid on. If if I could sell a billion cases of your beer, sure, I'd want to do that. But I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in in selling the right cases to the right people. Mm. Like you know, it, sure, there's a carrot for us as craft brand company to sell more volume, but I was going to say the billion cases sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> sounds madness, but a, we're, we're comp- as an agency. We're compensated on volume, volume mm-hmm. out the door. So sure. More points of distribution, more volume. It's all good. But, uh, that's not what we're in here for, right? Like we love every brand like our own. We, we want them all to succeed. We want fewer partners, deeper partners. And and you can't do that by by just like the smash and grab of I sold 10,000 10, cases that made me whatever. It doesn't matter. I would rather sell fewer cases, which doesn't make any business sense to us, but we like ourselves, we like the people we're working with, and, and we know we can grow that sustainably if we build a great foundation. Like the you know it is counterintuitive to the business model that most agencies work for because it's volume-based business, and that's our business is all volume-based business. We get paid piece by piece, every case at the door. But that doesn't get us out of bed in the morning to sell a uh, hundred thousand cases or uh, ten thousand cases. What gets us out of bed is building great brands, working with great people. And you know, that means doing it right the first time, making less up front, but knowing in the backside, this is gonna be much, much better. And we're all gonna be happier and we're all gonna have a much better time. We're not, we're not interested in super lucrative, high volume, whatever. I mean, sure. Yeah, we are. Anyone out there that has like super lucrative, high volume stuff, but that's not what we're
2: in it for. Army Poyo is a great example of that. Like in the early days, it was a lot more work for them than it was revenue for us. And it probably seemed like a lot of work for them to get us going. You know, we're now in a point where it's a very lucrative business for them. They prioritize Canada in a very big way because they love the quality of the beer we're putting out um carl i think really appreciates our attention to detail on the canning and the labeling process they are the most diligent partner we've ever come across from a branding standpoint um and while 10 percent of the time you want to pull your hair out 90 percent of the time you're like fuck, I really respect these guys for taking their brand as seriously as they do. Mm. And it's why they're as successful as they are. Um, but that's a very good example where we, where we really weren't making a whole lot, putting in a ton of time, and they were putting in a ton of time. And you really see that foundation of let's treat this right. And it's now become a, a really great business for both of us, um, for us and definitely for them. And we all are on the same page of putting out the best possible thing we can, um, and it's going to work, and it's just all going to work, you know. And that's kind of the, the pretense of it. And we're in a really great spot with them, especially.
0: I love that. This is such a refreshing thing to hear about. It just sort of like re- Sometimes I feel like we're like screaming at brick walls type of thing, where everyone's like <laughs> in the social world just gives a shit about like when am I going to get ten thousand followers or so what's going on. What's- Whereas, like you guys are saying exactly what we're saying, it's just in the beer yeah. context. It's just it really comes down to if you want to grow a following in anything, in any shape or form, whether that's physical sales or followers on the social media or whatever the hell it is, it's got to be. There's no shortcuts. There's a few things that's going to get you there a little quicker. Then there's certain little little things you can do that might be sticky. It might just be temporary. Whatever, but. At the end of the day, it's that slow, consistent, persistent growth over time and continually putting out quality and engaging that community and making sure that community feels valued and serviced at all times so that in a couple of years' time, they're going to still stick around and be like, yeah, I fuck with Omnipolar," because all of their shit, they will not even know about Kraft Branco most like, You guys are like the silent heroes in the background making this happen because they know about Omnipolar. you're growing their brand. So people are like well the Bianca, this should taste it like a fucking goddamn blueberry maple pancake. And then they had this thing that had graham crackers, and vanilla, inch and coffee. And then they had this crazy co- paler with aliens on it, like you know, like <laughs> this <laughs> consistent thing over time when it's just it's really great stuff that people are just grateful to have uh, have access to, and they try it every time. And they're like, well, the branding's fire, and it's always at this LCBR. And I look at the can if they're savvy enough, like, well, that's only a few weeks old, that's what I'm looking for, so on and so forth. And I think there's people could be well to, to, to take heed of that from, from multiple perspectives, whether they're the brewery actually selling their stuff and you need to grow that slowly over time because there's really not that much that sort of grows really quick, maybe some of the hype breweries that kind of do it and really they're the 0.1% of things and they're few and yeah. far between and yeah. it just happens. I know some of my friends own these hype breweries and they're like bro I didn't fucking ask for this I just want to make beer and then people are jumping on and they're losing their minds I'm trying to keep up and they're angry at me and I just don't know what to do you know so it's yeah I think a lot of businesses could 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 very much take heed to exactly what you guys are saying I think it's a really valuable lesson to whatever I, mean, I know this is a craft beer podcast speaking specifically to that but any industry could take heed because I'm seeing parallels nonstop with our business so it's like it's fantastic to hear you guys say this. It's it's very cool. Well, I like to, to, get-
2: to your point on the followers, like I remember how scary it was saying to U.S. breweries that were like, "Hey, I see 685 LCBOs in the province. How many can you get us into?" And we, I remember how scary it was saying uh, 40. Yeah, but those 40 are gonna fucking crush like those 40 are going to be amazing. And those 40 are going to get you the rate of sale that you want. And the category is going to say, this is working, you know, what's next. Mm -hmm. But I remember how scary it was, you know, not saying, oh, 370 or, oh, 350. Like I remember what it was like saying, you know, yeah, we're going to start you in 40 stores and having people look at you like you have three heads but it really is how you grow a brand and it's no different to your business, right? Like you grow with the loyal followers that want to come back time and time again. And then you grow from there. Yeah. You grow from there, but you know, the whole, you know, how are you getting me a hundred thousand followers? Like, fuck it. it, It's a tough one.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something that we deal with every single day. And as we've, we've had our YouTube channel where we talk about, we give our social media tips and stuff and that's growing really well. And that's, created new revenue streams for our business whether it's consulting now sponsorships affiliate marketing all of the stuff that's come out of that and just having to school people we just spoke at a summit for medical aesthetics today um telling nurses who fucking do botox and shit like fam like this is how you grow your social and they're asking us questions and that's not about followers like oh what's the matter followers how quick can i grow and we had to tell people because that's what people think that it's all about now and that's what People that are obsessed with is that is that sort of like unfettered growth and and whilst growth is important, it's not about the the, the r- rapidity of it. It's you know it's that slow incline engagement, authenticity, yeah, man, and yeah. consistency. Like do this yeah, stuff yeah. over and over. You guys have delivered. Over and over for eight years, we've delivered podcasts for six years over and over. We've barely taken any time off, like maybe a couple of weeks over six years. We have not fucked around. So it's paid dividends in this real slow growth of delivering consistency. So whatever it is that anybody is doing, just deliver consistently over time. Please that audience. Those audience will tell more people, do things like particularly your client's when the world opens up again and then there's beer festivals, I imagine there'd be craft brand co stands at beer festivals where you would showcase all your brands and then they get showcased there. maybe they would fly over and they could represent and talk to people, shake some hands, smile, fucking pour some pints and stuff. You know, there's there's ways to do this, but people need more patience. And in this world where everything's instantaneous because of this fucking thing. Um yeah. It's, you know, yeah. that inst- people expect everything to just happen in the blink of an eye and kind of forget that growing a real community is a slow grind that takes time and energy and effort, sustained effort. So it's a beautiful thing to see what you guys have done, not even for yourself. That's the best part. Like, you, you yes, you are doing it for yourself, but it's it's kind of not. It is, but it isn't. Same as us. It is, but it isn't. We're running client stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. about us, but it's not really. Like, yeah, you guys keep bringing, you know, fire breweries in and doing well and creating their brands and making them do it properly. So yeah, then people keep coming to craft brand code, but really you guys are doing it for They're coming for the brand.
2: Yeah. They're coming for the other brands for sure. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's such an interesting parallel. I, I guess I've, I've never had anyone like you guys on before. So these parallels fucking four hours in, of course. I knew this would be a great (laughs) chat. Hey, did we not? We we knew it. We knew it would be. But yeah, no, this is is genuinely fascinating. I feel like this is just a valuable conversation for a lot of breweries to have. I think breweries don't think about these type of things, being that I know we have a strong industry following as well. Um, And I think it'd just be really wise to kind of listen to what you guys are saying and kind of soak that up a bit because it's just a perspective that a lot of breweries don't get because most of the people that they would hear from Aren't really speaking from your perspective, and everything you're saying applies to literally everybody. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate think it's really that. valuable. Um, on that note, I feel like we've basically covered everything at, at four hours. I'm super stoked. This is great. The beers have been amazing. This conversation was as fire as I knew it would be. You guys are fucking champions. Um, I'm genuinely glad and very, very appreciative that you guys took the time to. To hang out and to chat, and I've been a fan of everything you guys have been doing for years. Um, so it's a genuine pleasure. I mean, it, like to, to talk to you guys and hear the stories and, and and the work that you guys blood, sweat, and tears have put into craft beer across you know your, in, your individual careers, and then and then what ended in this. And I see how happy Craig is the person uh, I speak to regularly out there, and he's stoked, and he's always spoken so highly of you guys. So when the opportunity came up, I was like, yo, let me let me finally get these guys on. And he made it happen, so. I just want to thank you guys very much. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh,
2: really
1: appreciate it. And Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for, thanks for everything you, you guys do to, to elevate the industry and elevate the awareness and, you know, all these little things help build a better community. So really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. And I think you guys have given a really unique voice to the industry in, in a way that was needed in a way that was kind of consolidated and, yeah, we're really digging it, man. You know, and and I'm and I'm serious when I say whether it's us traveling to just your neck of the woods and having a patio, you know, down the street from you, or whether it's us, you know, going somewhere really fun. You know, I really look forward to the day that we can uh, uh, we can tip some jars somewhere pretty exciting together. It'd be really, really great,
0: man. I'm stoked. If I'm in Toronto, I hope that things start to move in the direction uh, with these numbers that uh, we're all happy with, and I'll be in Toronto soon. So. We're in touch, and if I'm in town, i to give you guys a shout—not even a question. Um, I'd definitely love to do something else, hang out, and actually just get you to know, kick it a little bit more off-camera, and uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, build and stuff. I feel like we just have a lot in common, and it's it's great. This is like talking to fellow like that's why I love this shit, man. Like entrepreneurial stuff and talking to other business people just it just happen to be in beer. It's fascinating to me, and I have so much respect for everything you guys are doing. Like, once again, because you guys have so much more pressures than, than we possibly even have. So, I love it. This is a live of this shit. It's beautiful. Um, what I want to do, I want to take the thumbnail. So, I'm going to take a screenshot of this, but I want to... We're going to hold up some cans, because uh, I'm going to... Yeah. So... We have a we have a bunch of them here, so yeah, get them shits. Hey, let me see what I. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go zodiac. Man. Yeah, well, if you're gonna go zodiac, you've got that. Let me see if I can get something different. Let me let me go back to the old Mazra here. If between us, we should have all of them. There we go. Boom. Which hand? This one, motherfucker. All right, ready? <laughs> oh, that is gorgeous. All our mothers are gonna love that. <laughs> mike. uh mike chris guys thank you so much where can everybody find either you both individually or craft Branco online uh www.bodega.beer
2: is our online shop okay. uh www.craftbrandco.com is where you can find us um yeah. instagram is instagram. at craft yeah at craft brand Co. on instagram and uh yeah, we got a lot happening this year, a lot of exciting shit. So, uh, yeah, please tune in.
0: I love it. Make sure you guys hit the link in the description to buy these beers that we had tonight. I think there's even one more in there that we might have. You guys might have. You had. know what?
2: We're gonna rejig the pack now that we've yeah. uh, that we've Gone the fight. called an audible a little bit, but the pack will reflect everything we drank tonight. Uh, so it'll be all good. And good uh, and one one last
1: little quick plug. Uh, April Please. is Autism Awareness Month, uh, and uh, 15% of all of our uh, online e commerce sales go through to uh, Autism Awareness. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's an extra little carrot for folks uh, that are looking to uh, make their dollars count when they're spending their dollars. So, yeah,
0: that's beautiful. I love that, boys. Thank you for that. That's fantastic. Um, boys, thank you for your time. Stick around at the end of this. We'll, we'll wrap this up and then we'll, we'll say goodbye there. But, uh, boys, thank you again for your time. It's genuinely appreciated. I know you're busy, guys. and uh, It's 1 a.m. on a Friday night and we've just had four hours, but this has been super valuable. I hope everyone found it. Uh, valuable as well so guys thank you so much for watching if you enjoyed the episode smash the thumbs up hit subscribe below hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops follow us on social media at BeersPodcast podcast and check out the long form audio so you can hear attractive bearded gentlemen like chris and mike talk about craft beer we are back next friday at 9 p.m we'll see you then guys peace.